1980s. This was supposed to be the space age. By now, we were supposed to be dressed something like this, like refugees from some planetary Kmart. But it didn't turn out that way at all. And chances are, according to the experts, in 10 years, designers will probably be styling and making clothes just like they are here and now at Hart Schaffner and Marks. This conventional suit. Welcome to the Private Suite Podcast interview series. Today we have myself in the Advent. We're also joined by Rich from the podcast. I'm very excited Hello. to have him here for an interview. Hi, Rich. Sorry hey, what's going on? Cut you off. It's weird calling you Rich. <laughs> I'm always calling yeah. you Pony. Just yeah, I mean, on the server, it's always Pony, but uh, yeah, in person yeah. on the podcast, it's, it's Rich. I just grew up like calling people by their internet handle. Like all my friends, that's what we do. That's why I'm indie, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's us. And we have a very special guest today, Enzo from the label My Pet Flamingo. Also, he has a sister label, Time Slaves, but mostly we're going to be talking about Vaporwave today. Welcome to the show, Enzo. How are nice you? Nice to be with you guys. Nice to be with you guys. It's nice to be called special. <laughs> I mean, my mom calls me special. You know what? It's unfortunately everybody on the show is special. I say that every time. Okay, I'm feeling less special already. This is a bad no, stuff. No, you, you're special. You, it was actually it was uh, very special for me to meet you at Electronicon a month ago. Yeah, likewise, likewise. I, I couldn't believe that we got there and we could already see on Twitter there were queues around the block, like all the way around the block. And the first thing we saw as we walked in was someone wearing my pet flamingo t-shirt. And I was like, we've made it, guys. We've arrived. No way. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Someone's wearing the same t-shirt that we're wearing. It across, was cool. across the globe, other side of the planet. Yeah, man. It was, it, it was just, yeah. I, I didn't know what to expect and it didn't disappoint. It was a hell of an event, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh man, yeah, definitely. Let's let's get into that in a, in a little bit. But uh, firstly, I want to know how is everybody today? How was everybody's night last night? I know some of us were quite busy and up quite late. <laughs> yeah, if I sound a bit throaty, it's because I didn't get to bed till about five a.m. Because it's um, I'm not sure if you've heard of Flamingo Funk too, but we dropped that last night, and uh, it was midnight our time, and so we stayed up till five in the morning. And I'm feeling yeah, my age today. So yeah, how are you guys doing? <laughs> good, not too good. bad, not too bad. A little, a little busy. I got a whole bunch of work ahead of me this weekend. I'm gonna be popping by our local uh, cassette store. We have a cassette nice. store here in Toronto, Dupe Shop, actually. Is it cassette know. store day over there as well? It is a happy cassette cool. store day, everybody. Yeah, happy cassette yeah. store day, definitely. Woo. Celebrated yeah. by buying uh, Flamingo Funk on cassette mm-hmm. earlier today. Nice. So. Nice. Mm-hmm. There's also mm-hmm. Luxury really and Donor Lens out there as well. Not that this is I, I know. Don't worry. Don't worry. I yeah. know. Actually, I have uh, <laughs> the, the white Flamingo <laughs> Funk tape in my cart because uh, 
I, I just, I grabbed the luxury elite tape as soon as it came out. And I was like, oh yeah, Flamingo Funk, right. Now I got to pay shipping twice. So I might need to send you an email and waste your time. <laughs> I've already had, we, we were talking about this just before we, and I've yeah. got a few emails. It's amazing how quickly those emails start coming through. Can we combine, yeah. can we change? I'm thinking, yeah, can I, can we just sort of let the inbox settle down a little bit? And then we'll come back to you. Don't worry. You don't have to send us three. We're not ignoring you. Just haven't got through it yet. It's crazy. It's crazy. But I understand people kind of panic as well because sometimes they don't see the limits that they can purchase maximum. And then they sort of, oh, no, they're going to cancel my order. And, you know, you have to try and be online to reassure people on things like that. So that's kind of why we're up till five. But I'm not going to lie. We did have a few drinks as well. So (laughs) I'm feeling a bit uh... dusty today. I see you guys always dealing with that stuff on Reddit, for example. Like people are like, hey, can you reply to my email? It's like, oh, you ordered three. You didn't get our email saying your order was, you know, it's like. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. And you can never please everyone. We try yeah. as much as we can. There's other mm-hmm. labels that take a bit more of a combative approach to how they deal with criticism and stuff. Whereas we do try to um, be calm and, you know, where possible, you know, Dude, deal with considering- things. You guys have been thrown a lot of shit over the years. And I got to say, like, it's it's so uh, nice just to kind of see you guys, like, actually take the time to be like, hey, here's the full explanation. I'm sorry. I, we're very busy. I was fucking at the beach all day or something like that. It's like, we're not yeah. always <laughs> right there on Reddit all the time to answer the things. Well, and it's, there's two of us. You know, we're not we're not Virgin Records. You know, it, it it's a family business. We've expanded to a third person who does most of the packing, which takes some of the pressure off us. But nice. even just between the two of us, me and my brother, um, just dealing with the inbox can be time consuming enough, you know. But it's mm-hmm. great. It's a, it's a dream job. So I wouldn't complain. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not even just getting like just tons of releases out. You're releasing some of the biggest releases in the genre. So it's just like that much more pressure and you're, you're releasing stuff yeah. that people are going to just, you know, the St. Pepsi empire building. Everyone yeah. wanted yeah. that as soon as it came out. So yeah. it's not even just a limited run. You're, you're getting stuff that people really want. So I think that's just another layer of pressure for you guys. There's mm-hmm. a responsibility with that as well, though, because we're yeah as well don't forget before we set up the label we were doing synthwave mainly on time slave and um i was a i was a fan of vaporwave music and listening to say for example late night delights a good example there's a lot of pressure delivering a, a full release for that because people have understood it and interpreted it and experienced it in a certain way for several years we then had to find a way to package it in a way that didn't under under uh, undermine their expectations because we changed the art because it was too low resolution to expand to 12 inches. That's the simple explanation. Um, and so there's, you know, like, and anytime you take on a big release and you have to make changes or choices, at least, you know, like the type of vinyl weights, the colors, the, the sleeves, all those things come with some degree of um, scrutiny and people have an opinion. And, you know, I think we learned it a little bit. We got it right with Empire Building to some degree because we used the original art on the labels, which people seem to appreciate. Oh, yeah. God, man, yeah. God. It doesn't photo that well. I've seen a couple of people who managed to, but in, in person, that record is pretty damn special. It looks really good. I really, saw someone really posted good. on Facebook uh, the other day. They've got it on the wall in a frame already next to the Revolver by the Beatles and John Coltrane. Wow. And oh, it's wow. Like, yeah, that's quite good company. Yeah, I would say so. I'm sure that cheered Ryan up when I sent him the picture of it as well. <laughs> yeah, you hopefully. Know, I missed that one. I had it in my cart and it got sniped somehow. Checked well, it out right away. I don't know what happened. We always keep 
a very this is a little trade secret we always keep a very small handful back because if things get damaged in the post we need to be able to replace them mm-hmm. so in a few weeks time when once people have stopped emailing us asking us where their copy is we might have a small handful <coughs> yeah we'll see it depends how nice you are to me today with us <laughs> <laughs> oh geez no Didn't i'm joking, tip-toe. I'm joking. <laughs> Um, we talked about Electronicon a little bit there. So you guys are going to the second one too, right? Or no, um, no, no, no. It, to be no. honest with you, it's, it's across the globe for us. Um, it was yeah. amazing to go to the first one. And if they do another one, we definitely will come. I mean, it was worth every penny we spent because of the connections we made, meeting people and, you know, immersing ourselves in the scene because it's so online, you know, it's, you're kind of connected, but disconnected from people in that sense. Right. You know, we're shipping stuff to people around the world every day. And yet most of the time we only connect with them through the internet, you know, f- mm-hmm. through text messages and stuff like that. So it's crazy to go and meet people. Definitely going to come next time. But my brother's got a new baby and I don't think oh, I'm, yeah. I got to take my missus on holiday before I go on a business, <laughs> another business trip, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, we're definitely going to the next one. Cool. Are you guys awesome. going? Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. Every time I speak to someone about it, I get more jealous. Like I, I, when they announced it, I was like, there's no way I can go. There's it's, it's too close to this one. I've already got uh, a trip to Paris planned for November for like a long weekend. And I'm like, I I can't go. And then I just did a quick search for flights and it's like, it's only like 250 bucks to fly from Philadelphia round trip to LA for that weekend. I was going to ask how far you've got to go from. That's not too bad. It's a six-hour flight. Um, it, okay. It's not too bad. I, I used to actually fly from Philadelphia to San Francisco, which is about the same length, maybe a little bit longer, uh, every week for work. Uh, wow. So I got really good at sleeping on planes. So six hours is that's a short flight. Um, even if if it's below See, twelve hours, it's us. a short flight. That'd be that's <laughs> oh, yeah. like the, the furthest end of Europe. That'd be a that would be a long holiday. Six-hour flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But even so, I mean, my brother and I drive up to London you know, a couple of times a month and that's two and a half, three hour drive. Where are you guys located? So we're based in Barry in South Wales. Okay. So okay. I don't know if you know, oh, yes. um, yeah, I don't know if you know Wales, but it's, um, it's to the West of London. So about two and a half hours right? straight drive. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, mm-hmm. Well, kind of parallel, but yeah, we've got family, our, our, um, mum and our brother still live in London. So we go back quite a lot. Sweet. Cool. Yeah, I've never been. I'm very excited to get myself over there someday. Got a lot of yeah, exploring man. to do. Yeah, man, definitely. I'll give you a shout. Well, maybe, uh, definitely. We'll, maybe, we'll, host maybe you. we'll, we'll go cover Groove Horizons next year. Yeah. Hey, in person. Yeah. We're going to try and, um, we're going to try and work with them on a, on another one of those and, uh, an even bigger one. It was amazing. That was, it was a much smaller scale to Electronicon, but it was nice to, to see that there's a scene in London. And I reckon if we all pull together, we can make it bigger. There's a there's demand for it. Oh yeah, well, yeah, definitely. Everything starts small, right? Yeah, man. Uh, Rich, I didn't. I don't think we got to hear how you are and what you got up to last <laughs> night. I uh, really didn't do anything last night. I got back from work and I was tired and didn't want to do anything, so I didn't. And I uh, just watched some TV, and it's about it. Nice. And then this watched- weekend got got a uh, obviously this, and then we got another. Another podcast to record tomorrow and some other stuff, but today's pretty much just this and hanging out. Did you see uh, El Camino came out, the Breaking Bad uh, story? Oh, is that like, out? No, is the it? extension? Yeah. I watched it yeah, last I did. night. Oh, is it good? How was it? 
it's so good I, i'm so wow. happy it's good that's good yeah no that's a relief yeah yeah it is. maybe i'll maybe i'll watch see, that um, a little bit later i went to see joker yesterday oh shit Ooh. It's pro- that's brilliant film really Sick. really enjoyed that it's awesome it was really what you, it was worth the hype it really was what do you feel about uh or how do you feel about joaquin phoenix's interpretation yeah. versus heath ledger um do you know it's been quite a long time since i watched heath ledgers and i went with my girlfriend last night we're gonna watch that tonight uh the heath ledger okay one. so i'd be able to i'd be able to give a better um comparative uh assessment after seeing it again but mm-hmm. phoenix was amazing like wow the way he pulls off the the the, the laughing kind of side of things and just his, <laughs> his physical movement it's intense and it's yeah it's a tough watch crazy i saw this youtube video it was uh the director of the film breaking down some of the scenes and joaquin's performance and how he got into the mindset to play joker all that stuff uh we'll link that uh, if we can check that out that's really sweet yeah yeah it, you know the, the, i mean no spoilers here but the thing take home coming straight out of the cinema was it reminded me of three films it reminded me of network it reminded me of uh warriors which is crazy. And um, what's the third, the third film slipped my mind now. Okay. It reminded me of two films. I can't <laughs> Those are older <laughs> films too, right? Like 10, 20 oh, Taxi Driver. Old. Taxi Driver. Oh yeah. Taxi from the so, 80s. Yeah, it reminded me of Taxi Driver, Warriors and Network in different nice. ways. It was crazy. But it, it, it's, everyone has to go and see it. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. Dope. Well, I wish I had time this weekend, but <laughs> <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Well, uh, it ain't going, going to- anywhere. It's going to yeah, be out for a while. For sure. It? For sure. I, is it in IMAX? I didn't see it in IMAX. Um, I just saw it in traditional. Yeah, they had mm-hmm. Dolby. I mean, they had a big advert about their sound system, which sounded pretty yeah. pretty hyped to me. But I haven't been to nice. the cinema for a long time. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was just cool to see it on a big screen. They've been stepping up the production at the cinema over the past like five years or so. All these crazy new rooms, crazy chairs, audio. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, those recliners just make it so much better. Yeah. And then you're not like cramped and it's easy to get out, you know, around people, you know, if you have to. So it's just, it's, mm-hmm. it's completely changed. Like, do you I'm pay guy, extra for the extra leg room? Yeah, I think you do. Yeah. yeah it man. depends on the theater. Like near me, there's, there's one theater that all of the seats are like that. That's just every single theater is like oh, that. Wow. And it's just a nice. regular AMC theater which is one of the chains here mm-hmm. um so that it's just it's a regular ticket price um but some other ones have imax and there's some other things like that but i always just go for the base one yeah, i had movie is- pass for a little bit uh last year and we went and saw tons of stuff that summer just like every week going to see a new movie and then we just stopped and then movie pass decided to crap out and run out of money and <laughs> kind of caught up to them so uh yeah after that we just didn't go too often. I've seen a few things, but mm-hmm. I'm the guy Every that time. always puts his feet up on the chair. So yeah, <laughs> it's always nice. To have <laughs> yeah. On the back you of know, the chair. Every time we go to the cinema, we always have a conversation about getting one of those passes. And then you realize actually at the moment, there's not that much coming out in the way of films, like the four trailers in a row before the film started were all remakes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do I've you, does the that. world need an eighth Terminator? You know, like yeah, you I mean, you get, you get all of that stuff rebooted like, for the 21st century. I'm not sure we do. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when we had movie pass, it was at that time, it was still 10 bucks a month. Yeah, and we saw some of the it. big stuff. Like we went and saw infinity war and Endgame and, and ready player one and some other big movies. Oh, but yeah. we also saw a bunch of like much smaller, like indie movies awesome. that That's were at I'm like about. kind of more local, like art house kind of theaters. Yeah, and they, yeah. they were able to do it there. So we saw a bunch of stuff that we wouldn't have normally gone and seen not only in theaters, but probably at all, but because it was essentially free, we went and saw it. So we saw a bunch of good movies like that. Dope. Stuff that you wouldn't know about. So yeah, yeah that's yeah. a great deal. 10 bucks a month. That's like, well, that's why they're out of business because it's not sustainable. <laughs> oh, fuck. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> well, they think everyone's going to come along and spend their money on, on and drinks. But after you've been to your second or third film week, you're probably yeah. skipping that and taking a little picnic with you, aren't you? you know? Well, Movie Pass <laughs> wasn't even affiliated with any of the oh, theaters. They just had a service oh. and you, you would select you know, I want to go see a movie at this theater. So they would load up a special debit card that they sent you with the exact amount of money to buy the ticket from that theater, which was usually like 11 or 12 bucks. Yeah. And you're only paying 10 bucks a month for the service. And the one movie ticket is 12 or 13. So I remember reading about this when it happened and everyone was predicting this would uh, end badly. And rather predictably, it ended badly. Yeah. They, They took a gamble on like, you know, collecting data on people on like their movie viewing habits and uh, pressuring the theaters into having to do their own thing for that price or partner with them or share concession prices. Yeah. And the theaters kind of just dug their feet in and said no, and it just never caught up to them. So they ran out of money. And is it also a bit like a bit like the gym membership thing where people go for a month and then they just pay a diet and never go. They just, the, the novelty wears off and that was another aspect they were trying to do was just yeah. they assumed some people are just never going to use it so that's a free 10 bucks a month for them yeah and usually yeah. when you sign up for something like that you know that's that's good entertainment for mm-hmm. it you know well let's just go sit in a nice air-conditioned theater in the middle of the summer and and watch a movie and it's basically free yeah so people it, used it a lot yeah. it seems like it's kind of like the the business model like kind of that youtube had to employ where they just they their idea is so good and they get so much stuff and they have to keep putting it out and supporting it and not making money. Like YouTube hasn't made money forever, but they, because they generate so much money and people, so many people use the service, they're able to kind of, you know, stay alive. Keeping the wolves at the door, aren't they? Yeah. Collecting data and all that is a, has been a big help for them. Like a a loss leader, basically you, you go into it knowing you're going to lose money and then, but the, indirect revenue generated from that service dwarfs what you would lose in it so what's it called a loss leader loss leader yeah interesting so like an airline would start a route that they know isn't going to make money but it's going to bring in other traffic that's going to Mm -hmm. help other routes and other markets so they keep it on there supermarket offers they're loss leading same thing yeah Mm mm-hmm get you in the store to go buy something exactly else. yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, I, that's a great term to know <laughs> yes yeah, rather yeah. more um sophisticated than keeping the wolves from the door which is why <laughs> I, I, no. I can dig it i can dig it yeah. all right so what is this whole my pet flamingo thing give us the whole shebang uh okay i was on holiday in mexico and um we'd already released waterfront dining on time slave and i had been it'd been nagging at me in the back of my mind that we needed to keep the two channels kind of separate so that we weren't 
confusing people and because it you know it just it felt like the right thing to do and literally i was on the beach and i was sort of thinking what would we call a new label how would we brand it and then suddenly this massive flock of flamingos flew past and um nice and then it just the idea formula it didn't come i'm gonna say it was just an immediate you know light bulb moment and then the name was there but that was by the end of the day then i had the name mm-hmm. and um, it really comes from like us wanting to come up compartmentalize so we're very open about the fact that we're sister labels it's basically the same company it's, well, it's yeah. entirely the same company but um it's two distinct channels which i think works um for sure for and, sure and that's yeah i mean really the whole point of it is to try to put the best releases possible onto vinyl um another outlet to keep uh, the scene sort of you know active and help put cassettes mini discs i mean i think we were the first ever to mini discs as well so we quite we quite big on the physical yeah yeah that's great like shout out to you guys for doing that putting out so many awesome releases because as we know in vaporwave things can disappear but physical (laughs) media can't well yeah yeah so i'm still you know i'm looking i'm in my office now i'm looking at the timeshare 94 vinyl the late night delight vinyl the empire building vinyl all of them in front of me and it's like whatever happens in four or five years time if the music's not here anymore and we're all doing different things mm-hmm. that will always be in my record collection and i like mm-hmm. you know i've got a part in making those things happen and that is quite a special feeling so i've always been a fan and a collector so it's the dream job i said that before it really is <laughs> yeah. working with my brother as well it's great we both got to quit the jobs and just focus on this for sure and you guys are so cool man like I don't know. Well, I probably couldn't, couldn't do that with my brother. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're good. I'm a bit older than him. It, the balance between us is pretty good. Fairness. Yeah. We've always been like best friends anyway. So there's no mm-hmm. dramas. We fall out sometimes, but that's what, that's happens, what happens when you're under yeah. pressure. You know? Yeah. That's the way it goes. Yeah, man. So uh, Noise by Waterfront Dining came out in January 2018. And so... How long after that was it? You were like, okay, let's get this my pet flamingo thing up and running, and then you put out um, the t- uh, turn boy, turn boy, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, um, t- give I us that timeline. So we'd we'd be meaning to to set up a vaporwave label, and so I got in contact with Waterfront Dining because that particular album had caught my eye, and I was a big fan of it. And fortunately, he was he was well up for the idea. And I think it was literally the, we published the album and it just did amazingly well. And I was just said to my brother, we, this is it. We've got to make a new label. We're going to have to have a new chance. So it was pretty much straight away. And then we spent three months working out who would be good releases to, to start with. And uh, yeah, Turn Boy, that's an amazing album. Um, and we've done other, we did other, I think we did Swag and um, we did yeah. Synchro Starts album as well. Mm-hmm. Early, early on, you know? Yeah, you kept, right out of the gate. I was like, "This label, man, holy shit!" I got. got I think make, I own You've got to try and make an impact. You've got to try and make an impact, haven't you? You know. Yeah, it's cutthroat out there, isn't it? <laughs> it is, but do you know what? Like everyone we met at Electronicon from other labels have been like amazing. Like they recognize yeah. everyone. I think recognizes that we've got to work together to some degree because we need the scene to survive. And uh, there's no point in trying to knock competition out of the way, you know, just do your thing. And um, sometimes we all come together, you know, like we've got two tracks from the guys at Gulf uh, on Flamingo Funk and they're amazing. Mm -hmm. We had a great time uh, with them. And, 
you know, there's no, there's no conflict or competition. There's friendly rivalry, imagine. Yeah. It's, uh, it's all good. That's the best form of it, I would yeah. say. When did you guys start Time Slaves? Time Slave. I always call it Slaves. <laughs> <laughs> that's because the ba- that's, that's my fault, that is. That's because set the band camp. Uh, oh, back, yeah. I called it timeslaves.bandcamp.com, not thinking that that would one day annoy me. Oh, shit. <laughs> it, that's where it, Okay, so it wasn't me. So, okay. No, no, no. So sometimes, quite well, quite a lot of people call it Time Slaves. Uh, yeah. It's fine. Do you know what I mean? It's no drama, really. I think we set that up in 2017, late 2017. And mm-hmm. it, the, the genesis for that was me, a good friend of mine, and my brother, watch, we'd watch Drive. We're like, right, yeah, we're going to have to make some music like this. This is, this is something to get part of Synthwave, you know? And at the time, it felt like really fresh, really new. And uh, there weren't so many people doing it. And uh, yeah, you know, it, it went from us making a couple of tracks, a compilation for charity. Sorry, I can mm-hmm. hear my dog is scratching the rug here. Harry's the <laughs> Sorry, guys. No worries, Sorry. it's fine. Sit down then, bud. Come join Harry's us, Doge. Yeah, man. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, so, soundtrack. Yes, yeah, so we 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 watched the film Drive, and uh, we just we'd always had this because I we we used to make a bit of music, different kinds of electronic music, like drum and bass and hardcore and stuff. And we see this film Drive, and it was just like this is this is different, this is new. Um, I want to so be you, part of this, and that was the start you, of the label. You know, mm-hmm. it just went from and there. You, went from, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, so we went we went from. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I keep restarting this one. Um, we went from making a couple of tracks ourselves for fun to doing, doing the Future Sounds Volume 1 compilation. And because that got so many followers on Bank and so much interest, we were, that was it, right? We're, we're established now as a cassette label. Let's see where we can go from here. And that's how we started was tapes. And it mm-hmm. took us a long time to be able to do vinyl. So expensive, you know? Yeah, well, there, had, there was no momentum. Like once the momentum started going for vinyl, it was like, okay, we can... Uh, peace of mind that there is a market for it right yeah that's it and, it, and it, it's the same with mini discs so we did a release on yes. mini disc and the novelty was amazing there was an instant hype and it sold out in minutes and mm-hmm. then there was a realization that everyone had to go and buy mini disc players and you've got to follow <laughs> up pretty quickly with another release so that they don't think well hang on is it worth me investing in this old technology or get you know buying it in as though it were new if there's mm-hmm. not going to be many and then suddenly loads of labels are doing it and i'd say mini discs are around until the stock of blank ones runs out to be honest with you it's quite well established now i gotta say thank you for being there f- for us with the new uh format like your branding is so beautiful so f- fucking high quality and polished that you were the guys to legitimize mini discs i'm going to say that right now i don't care who's going to argue with me uh, so shout out to my, my pet flamingo for sure. I do appreciate that because literally as we were doing it, I, I was very conscious of the fact that for me, it felt like we were the first and we were going to lead on this, this format. And it, it, it came, my love of mini disc comes from when I was a teenager and I used to DJ uh, quite a bit. I used to mm-hmm. record my mixes onto mini disc because it was such nice. a good quality format. So I'd set my Technics 1210s up and I'd be mixing drum and bass or hardcore whatever it was and that was the format i used to use and it was just you know it's nostalgic to me uh, to bring it back and i can't believe for me i've got more of a connection with minidis now than i even did then 
yeah. because there are releases I can purchase. And I, I buy other labels, mini discs uh, from time to time as well, you know? Mm -hmm. Where do you guys find the stock of mini discs for when you do releases? There's a guy, um, there's a firm called Band CDs, and um, they, they do most of them because they've got hmm, you know, okay. the, the technology to do on-body printing. So the mini discs themselves look They've got the J cards and they've obviously either custom made or bought in like what effectively amounts to cassette boxes. Because I don't know if you remember what mini discs used to come in. They were much bigger boxes and they don't exist. No one's making them. So hmm. interesting. Cause I, I, you know, I do searches for them and then you find like, oh, someone's selling a six pack or 10 pack or something like that on sale. Yeah. It's all just like blank, essentially like blank cassette style stuff. So I don't know if like, you know, labels are going out and just, buying up what they can when they see it and yeah. holding them or if yeah, there's some exactly kind of what's new that's wow exactly and that that company i believe you know so the, the the standard ones that were last produced i think they're called sony nege um and those mm -hmm. ones are the ones that are still in quite high supply so i think this company for example has bought thousands of them and keeps wow. them in stock and i actually had a conversation with him recently about when he thought that reservoir of supply might might run out and he said he'd keep me keep me in the loop because we could reserve them oh, so sick. We, we could reserve a thousand say so we've at least got 10 more releases covered you know if that moment mm -hmm. came but we're not there yet we're not there yet. i think we're more in danger of waiting ages for cassettes at the minute if you read the news there's like yeah. Of, yeah yeah let's dive into that for a moment i think we're going to be okay dupe.ca said we're all good don't worry about it but for how long that's a relief uh, but like you said for how long because you know, if you look at the great guns that things like Cassette Store Day are making in increasing people's awareness that tapes are still a good thing to to, to buy or collect, you know, the demand's there. They've got to be able to keep matching it. Because mm -hmm. no one's producing blank tapes anymore, right? Like, don't think so. I don't think so. There are. There's still a couple of firms that do make them. But there's not, one in the US and I, f I think there's one in Canada too. But it's is it the same SCA. grade? Yeah, is it the same grade of tape? Because... The old tape stock was was high quality. That's the main question. Sure. Like what level of, of yeah. um, like uh, oxide quality or whatever? Exactly. Is there some, you can get some really outside. shade. And yeah. I'm, not, I'm not talking about homespun ones because that's that's fine. You're buying that as a product, but you can get some really shitty sounding tapes. Uh, fortunately, where we go, never had a problem with. Them. Yeah, <laughs> and, and <laughs> like, they've got like, all the colors and everything, so we're we're always cool with them. Mm hmm. I think it's National Audio Company in the U.S. is still oh, okay. producing them. But are they um, Type Four tapes? Probably, probably two chrome tapes, right? Not metal. To look up their services and see what they can do. Ah, good call. I don't know. <laughs> I, I just I remember seeing a video on uh, some YouTube channel or some it was some kind of like mini documentary on the last cassette manufacturer in the United States, and they were mm. you know they were like the only people that were doing it. So I don't know what they actually do in terms of quality and everything, but I know they're still producing them. So mm -hmm. I imagine a lot, of, uh, a lot of vendors or companies are kind of still waiting to see, okay, is this new resurgence and in cassette interest a, a, a fad? Can stick around, yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. I went into, when I was in New York last year, I went to Urban Outfitters and they were selling, I bought the Stranger Things soundtrack on cassette. Nice. They, they got to have done thousands and thousands of them. They and do so, some owed some really good uh, exclusive stuff. I've bought a whole whack of vinyl from them, like uh, Christina Aguilera's first album, NSYNC. 
Maybe I'm revealing too much about myself right now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm never going to judge another music collection. It's, it's yeah. subjective. Let's leave it nice. there. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wanted nice. to talk about cool. the Drive soundtrack just a little bit. Yeah. To go back to that. So was it, I imagine it was Kavinsky that inspired you guys, or was it the whole like Cliff Martinez soundtrack, or was it the the Desire song under do your you know, spell? Do you know, it's it's a bit of both. It was actually the college song that got my attention. Oh, real hero, real human so, being. Yeah, and that, yeah, that yeah. Um, the early college style with the the way he formulated his bass lines, the sidechain bass line, like that just summed it up for me at the time. And Kavinsky was amazing as well. That track is great. Mm. And mm-hmm. I love the soundtrack, you know, even the chromatic, the track. Oh yeah, the they, were, they were on there a bit, well. that's right. That's, that again is of the similar kind of ilk, but I just feel like the whole film, it, it was scored perfectly. And they did, uh, have you heard of um, Zane? Is it Zane Lowe? BBC Radio DJ, I think he's from New Zealander, but he rescored it for the BBC no. and it was absolutely woeful. Oh, fuck. I mean, the, whole, the whole point of the film for me, well, not the whole point of the film, but one of the best aspects of the film was its soundtrack, was that mm-hmm. score by Martinez and all those tracks that were in it. And then he's gone and rescored a load of really wet music. It was, it was, it was atrocious. <laughs> it was like drawing a moustache on the Mona Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. Unforgivable. Gross. So uh, let's get back to some more questions. I want to know about... And I know your brother isn't here, but your the musical interests that you guys uh, developed over the years as you grew up. You know, you mentioned drum and bass and hardcore a little bit. I fucking love drum and bass, so maybe we can talk a bit about that. Yeah. Uh, part part of me wants to live in the UK because there's not much D and B here. But yeah, like how did you guys uh, move through music throughout your lives? Well, I, I'm a bit older than Jerome, and. Uh, we used to have guitar lessons. Well, when I was, I would have been in my late teens then when he was a li- very little and we started learning guitar. And I remember teaching him to play some Oasis songs and things like that. And he very quickly, by the time he was seven or eight years old, had overtaken me on every instrument I thought I could half play. And he's the talented one in terms of music. I mean, he can play the sitar, he can play piano, he's a drummer. He drums for the band Iverson at the moment. Um, so he, from that point of view, my job was the promo and the PR and uh, artwork, things like that. And his job is anything that's related to the audio and the technical side of things like that. So that would be sort of how the the, the skill set breaks down between partners, uh, matching that sense, you know? Okay. And what, what were you guys inspired by? I guess you inspired him probably, right? I, I Well, the, the funny Musically. thing with... The funny thing with uh, synthwave and with time slave recordings was that I sent uh, Jerome obviously liked the film Drive and I sent him uh, one of the tracks I think it was the college track and I was like right, right you've got to help me work out how I'm going to make this stuff we're going to we're going to do this together and I remember him helping me with one particular aspect because he used Logic and he sent me back the file and he labelled it as Vin's shit as if to say <laughs> <laughs> this is your rubbish like and. It's the same thing happened when I introduced him to Heim. It took him a little while. He percolated on the idea, rejected it at first, and then he came back and apologized a few months later and said, no, you're right. You're right. Heim are great. Synthway was great. And uh, yeah, he was a bit slow to catch up to me on that, but he was quickly on to Vaporwave, certainly. But we're, we're mm-hmm. from a different generation, so I grew up. The first CDs I bought were 
like the prodigy experience nirvana's never mind i was massively into oasis and he was more of a my chemical romance era so that's the age gap mm. okay probably the common ground was when he was learning to and stuff would have been things like oasis it'd have been that brit pop stuff and, and yeah. 60s all the big 60s bands like the beatles and the stones and stuff mm-hmm. and so drum and bass how did you get into that what sort of artists are you into that sort of thing do you ever go to any shows do you know i i don't listen to it a great deal anymore or i do listen to it but i don't listen to new drum and bass very much so i was of the i was in and of the era itself when it first came out so i was mm. very much into jungle um and yes. hardcore, early hardcore so the the oh, ragga yeah. tinged hardcore music that came out nice. um, ibiza records have got they've just started repressing some of their 93 94 um era drum and bass tracks and i'd almost call them verging on hardcore but like you as uk hardcore if you get me um oh shit what was what's the name of that label so i beat beat the records and they got a track called i think it's called bring you the future and that is just essential in terms of like that was the era so pirate radio stations in the early 90s so you can think there's a whole bunch of people recording oh, yeah. on cassette back in the day so there's a whole yeah. bunch of like live shows so don fm cool fm dream fm like energy um these were like really big mainly london-based pirate radio stations and uh they'd obviously set up in a tower block in a in a like housing estate and they'd have a link between the, the transmitter and the studio itself and then they'd constantly be playing a game of cat and mouse with the called the <laughs> dti the department of trading and something like that and basically yeah. their job as the government was to come and shut down all these illegal stations because they would often be interfering with commercial license paying stations interesting the whole scene isn't there a movie sort of wow. about things yeah, there is. I think there is. And yeah. it's the one on a boat, isn't it? But that's the original. Yeah, yeah. That's the first ever pirate station. I can't remember what okay. that's called. That was like in the 60s. But that whole 1990s or even late 80s when Acid House and stuff was a thing. Like that whole, we're going to have a rave. We're not going to tell you where it is until the night. You're going to phone up. We're going to tell you to go to a junction on the motorway and then you're going to get directions from there. Like very underground. That was the mm. time when I was massively into drum and bass. And, oh, um, I miss that so much. God well, damn. Well, I don't know if you listened to the Innocence project that we did on My Pet Flamingo recently, and that is very much an homage to that type of music that I grew up playing. That was what I used to DJ and occasionally play on pirate stations and stuff like that. So it's like 1990s breakbeat, almost jungle, almost hardcore. And that's this Fuck album yeah. we put out called Innocence. It's, uh, there's a few of us... Um, who've come together to make music that's kind of inspired by that sort of fusing vaporwave with rave, hence the clumsy pun vaporwave. That's, is that <laughs> on the, on the label, on the band yeah, camp? That, that, that's on our band camp. Hang on, my dogs, my missus has just come back. No worries. Give me one I, second. Am I yeah, to, yeah, can take you your time. One second? I'm just going to go and tell her I'm still doing it. One second. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just looking for this innocent, uh, what was it? Innocence? Yeah, isn't that the one that um, I can't find it because I'm surprised I don't know it. Inner sense, yeah, it was. It's uh, it's the one they gave out at Electronic Con. Oh, that green cassette. Yes, that's right. Yeah, vapor rave. Yeah, I got handed that. That's right. And I did listen to it too. Fucking yep, amazing. Yeah, that's my shit right there, bro. I have uh like at least a terabyte worth of 
old jungle tapes from LTJ Bookham, Nebkins, Bookham. Yeah. There's a huge Atlantis. Do you know Atlantis? Yeah, I do. Yeah, man. I think it was actually, that was, um, in Wipeout, the computer game, wasn't it as well? It was famous. Yeah. Yeah. That's one Uh, of the greatest tunes of all time. I'd say any electronic music genre. Mm -hmm. We'll link it as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Toronto has a sh- pretty big, or in the 90s, it had a pretty big jungle scene trying to like vicariously live through the UK's jungle scene. Because <laughs> it wasn't like, um, what's that word? Not faux pas, but uh, taboo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we had Art Meets Science um, and archive.org actually put out a f- like gigs and gigs of old jungle tapes. No way. So, um, yeah, I'm right up that right up your alley with uh, with the old like underground tapes, and it's so cool to see that being put on vinyl now. Like that's not supposed to be on vinyl, right? Well, actually, the funny thing was that that music in the early '90s was always pressed as singles. You never would have got albums, and you'd be looking at one oh, yeah. track, one track per side. It was DJ music pushed mm-hmm, as, mm-hmm. as it possibly could for the rave kind of scene. And what they've done now is these records are like from 1993, the one I said by Noise Factory. It is Noise Factory, Bring You the Future. And that is just the archetypal jungle track from Ibiza Records. It's absolutely incredible. And they've repressed it now. And these records, the original pressings, are it's not dissimilar to Vaporwave. You're talking a couple of hundred quid for some of them. Holy shit. It's crazy to to think that 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 scene and that, that specific type of music seemed really to die out in about 1995 and people are still collecting it and being influenced by it now. And that's why we, we, we did the album in a sense, because that was music that I was really inspired by when I was younger. That really got me into, that was the first discovery I had for myself of new music. Um, and yeah, so we've kind of fused Vaporwave with that and it sounds like something from the early nineties, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm quite proud uh, of it. So, That's going to be, we're going to do that on vinyl as well soon because we had quite a good response nice. to it. Oh, dope. Yeah, man. Fuck yeah. Yeah, like I was saying, it's cool to see that stuff on vinyl uh, because, you know, it's not meant to be on vinyl because it was so underground and, you know, uh, difficult to, to be a part of. But once you were, it was like you were a member of this special thing, kind of like the feeling you have as being a part ah. of Vaporwave. Just we talk online instead of meeting at the venue every week. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, what was exactly. I going to say? And uh, it's so like it's no would... wonder that they cost so much because there's so few, but so many people went through that. And that like was probably the biggest underground scene of anything, like as far as a global underground scene goes, you know? Do you know what? We, I used to go to this record shop called uh, Remix Records in Camden. It's, it shut down years and years and years ago. And um, you'd go into there, and every time you walked into that shop, there was, no, there was nothing, there was no um, racks to go through on the sides or the back of the shop. You literally went straight to the back, and there's a the counter. And behind the counter on the wall were all these individual records. Most of them had white labels. Some of them had handwritten you know, occasionally you'd have something with a full color printed label, but there was such an an sense of anonymity about it all, mostly because of the samples, which is another sort of crossover with Vaporwave. 
But it was crazy. You walk in there and there was that knowing look you had with people who you could tell they were going to remix records or to whatever shop it was that you'd go to. And it was like being in on a, it was like being in on a private secret. Yeah, exactly. Feeling like you're part of something that not everyone understood. And I think that's what was amazing about it. You know, Mm -hmm. we come into school on Monday then with our tapes, like, did you listen to DJ whatever? And yeah, I've got recorded that. Yeah, yeah. Let me borrow the tape, like you know, and be, be shit swapping tapes and stuff in a way that you know it wasn't until I got into Vaporwave that I kind of reconnected with DIY music, as it were. Yeah, and, and felt that sort of visceral connection with people who were listening to it and playing it because it's not distant, like you know, famous bands and stuff. You know, you can be part of this, mm-hmm. really be part of it. When I have kids, I gotta make sure that they get into some sort of underground thing because, like. If you don't, like, I always think about how I listen to old music from my various years, um, you know, since I was like seven, I still listen to music that I listened to then. And it it moves me so much, like it it's shaped who I am a little bit. Uh, and it, it makes you appreciate the, the nostalgia that music can give you. Whereas like, people that just listen to whatever and like, I'm the reason I'm saying this is because you said, did you what you come into school the next day you say oh did you yeah. listen to that person you can i borrow the tape and you had a more tangible approach to the music because you actually had to sit there and listen to it while you dubbed it and you know it was more like hands-on experience and that like digs into your memory quite a bit more than all these random digital albums we keep getting thrown at us all the time in that i feel like it's almost my duty, sort of, to spread the gospel of vaporwave. I know I've said that before. Rich <laughs> Hallelujah. <has> said it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah, brother. <laughs> but with jungle at the time, you like you didn't have to spread it. You so you're in on the secret, but also you knew that it was like only up from here. And maybe in vaporwave now we can say that's only up from here. But in 2014, you know, who nobody really knew what the hell was going to happen, right? Yeah, well, that's true as well. But do you know what, what you're saying there about how you connect personally with music? Like, I can relate to that so much. You could, you know, you could, with that passion, you could tell me that you loved any band out there and I'd understand that because there's a passion, a genuine connection there. What I don't understand and won't accept is people who treat music as their relationship with music as little more than background noise. And, you know, I've left jobs in the past. This will sound stupid, perhaps, but I've left jobs because of the radio that they'd have on all day because it would kill me. <laughs> <laughs> music is not background oh, noise. Music is not background noise. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I, I used to work in, it was one of my first jobs when I was 18. I worked in the post room in um, car phone warehouses, like, which was like a mobile phone, early mobile phone shop. And it was like their head office. And I was in the mail room and I was, don't think I was destined to stay there for too long anyway because my heart wasn't in handing out the mail, as it were. But they would play the radio and you would ask to change it. And they had a very strict rule, which was that the person who'd been there the longest got to choose the radio station. And yeah, there were six that. or seven, there were six or seven people who, and they would be, it was magic and it would be the same inane, awful, like un- <laughs> unforgivable pop. And I just can't hey stand now, it. You said you could understand anybody. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but no, but, it, but it, the difference though is if if someone turns around and can explain, like, no one in the world's favorite band is the Beautiful South. Okay, it might be something <laughs> that you can stick on in the background and not be bothered by. But I don't have that relationship with music. I'm being a bit flippant about it here, but for me, it's not background music, and I can't yeah. just shut it off. You know, and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. 
it's important and, and, and being able I, to explain it is huge too like those guys probably couldn't they're just like hey it's the it's what i know or just no nah, just stick it on the background i don't want to be in a quiet room and i understand that but i couldn't shut it out and i had to go it was, <laughs> it was me or them and it, ultimately it was me oh yeah they used to bother me quite a bit when I was younger. I'm more accepted. I accept it more now. Maybe it's because I'm older and I'm whatever. But yeah, when I was young, I was like, it's my music or the highway. And I, my mom hated my music and she'd never let me put it on in the car. So I'm like, I'm not driving with you. What are you talking about? I can't listen to shit. And it's still you like that, actually. You can't imagine my, my parents didn't particularly enjoy the sound of heavy, loud breakbeats and hardcore hoover <laughs> sounds in a small council flat. <laughs> Yeah. yeah that used to drive yeah. them mad i don't mean they i don't think anyone likes their kids music and i remember my granddad said it sounded like jungle he, he said when i must have had it on in the car or something he said it sounded like a biscuit tin falling down the stairs <laughs> 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 which which i still it sticks with that i think that's yeah wow i don't think i ever attempted to even put my own music on in the car when i was growing up partially because i just didn't want to even try to like explain it to my parents or like even go i'm like i don't even want to deal with that like whatever we'll listen to something else i knew and that I, I would be judged if i put it on yeah yeah like i didn't want to do it and i remember i was driving somewhere with my dad one night we were, we were i think we were going like on like a college tour or something like that and i was gonna like listen to my own music like just with like my cd player or something like that and he's like no just go ahead and put it on and it was like to, to date this it was hybrid theory by lincoln park was the album and nice. i'm like this is not what my dad listens to like this is not you know the type of stuff that he's into and he's not going to understand this so it was kind of awkward sitting there listening to it like because i have <laughs> screaming and i'm enjoying it because it's like you know that that's that's just what you listen to in 2001 but in you know for him it's like extremely awkward so i just avoided <laughs> just those that, situations altogether generation gap with their parents too Oh, I'm sure they did. Like, I don't Absolutely. think my grandparents particularly liked the Rolling Stones. You know, they thought it was very, probably very sexual to them. You see Mick mm -hmm. Jagger strutting his stuff. And meanwhile, the Beatles are singing about holding someone's hand. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, that kind of, it felt, probably felt quite edgy at the time. Whereas to us, yeah. it's like, yep. oh, they're, they're still on the stage now. That's a great point and a great tangent. Like the music today and everyone having access to it, whether you're you know, a parent or a young person with a parent, um, everybody has the chance to hear the same thing. So it's way more likely that parents are going to be aware of what their kids are listening to and even know mm -hmm. it and maybe even participate in it. So I'm kind of jealous of that. Yeah, there's maybe too much choice now as well. That's, yeah, exactly. And that goes back to what we were saying before about, uh, you know, holding on to that thing because it's such a gem and i think that's why people cling on to vaporwave so much too it's nostalgic isn't it as well oh huge that's that's the whole thing for me it's like an mm -hmm. alex from pacific plaza just came on the show and he said it really interestingly he said it's actually vaporwaves an art movement with music but it's the art movement that brings on the nostalgia not necessarily just the music i think that's pretty cool yeah, I think that's fair as well, because the aesthetic side of things is probably parodied a little bit sometimes, but it is integral. You know, and I'm not just talking about Japanese um, typography and stuff like that and Helios statues, but that whole, mm -hmm. you know, um, 
almost so the music's quite you're building you're weaving a tapestry of different things you know you're blending them together what's the word i'm looking for like is it a type of art that you have to, okay sorry right in a, so in a way in a way the music and the the art side of things it's like a collage oh yeah yeah so it's a you know it, it's all these different strands weaved and it makes a lot of sense to see it as maybe more than just a music movement because I think certainly the people who were looking at it first of all and the things they were doing to very commercial, very well-recognized songs, the whole point was to be countercultural and perhaps to pastiche that kind of consumer culture. And that's what all the mall stuff comes from in the early days, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And sort of reinterpreting stuff that is for the mainstream and making it, you know, I, I, I run out of time. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you how many times I've spoken to people and had to explain to them that there's more to it than slowing down Michael Jackson, that, that there's, there's, there's a whole philosophy behind it that maybe you don't grasp in the first listen. And uh, he sounds like a pretty wise guy, Alex. That's a nice way of summing up what it is we're part of, I think. Mm. What was your introduction to Vaporwave? Uh, late Night Delight, I would have thought. And it probably would have been browsing Synthwave videos on YouTube uh, stumbling across the Simpson wave stuff mm-hmm. and that blurred line between bands like home yeah. and vaporwave and synthwave. Yeah. And then, you know, everyone stumbles across late night delight and floral shop. And at first it feels like a meme in some regards. And I don't mean that dismissively. It didn't feel like that for long, but you get it after a while. I think, you know, you get it and you realize what's going on and you just want to explore more and more and more. And I think it has to be, processed visually as well as orally as in au hourly i think you have to process i think you have to process it visually and uh, by listening to it simultaneously i think you get a better experience from that and i think that the art and that's why the physical releases are so important because you can hold that record in your hand and it's part of the experience for me do you have you ever heard of the artist unfound yeah the name rings a bell the name rings a bell they just put out a single man it's like one of my the greatest synth songs I've ever heard. Uh, I'll link it as well. Here, let me link it now. Actually, I think I have the tab open somewhere. It's called Dream Fl- uh, Dream Flight. Holy fuck! Is this song blowing my mind? Like, just to take a tangent on on a ten- synth wave for a second. I love synth wave, but I find a lot of it is like sounds very much the same. And I'm always looking for yeah. that new <laughs> sound to come out that's gonna, you know, um, take that next step from where we're at right now there's been many different tiers and phases of synthwave over the years and this i think is the new one for me fuck here let me link it song is dream flight a dream dream light by unfound check it out if you like synthwave it's it's probably gonna blow your mind like i i can't even express what it makes me feel it's just ah uh, it's just such smart music and offers so much new elements to synthwave I'm like, this has got to be where it's going now for sure. I'm going to check it out. Cool. What about Synthwave? What, how did you get into that? I mean, everyone's introduction to Synthwave, in my experience, has been either the Kung Fury film or the Drive soundtrack. They're easy jump off oh, yeah. points. Right. And then obviously with College making it, even if you hadn't seen the film Drive, I think everyone knew that track, Real Hero. Um, but... We used to have, it was a friend of mine who quite often introduces me to new music. The guy who does our packing, actually, Chris, um, he, he 
just tends to discover new things. And we've just had a playlist on, I think it was like a new retro wave playlist. And, you know, just artists like Time Cop 1983, like Droid Bishop, they were the early artists that I got into, Future Cop and stuff. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. And I quite like the stuff that sounds like Celerect and Celerect to LA Dreams, his name is. He sounds like genuinely 80s. Like I think he's using hard synths and it's very, very authentically 80s sounding. And I think if too many new artists come in trying to replicate that, that's where it gets tired. But I think the guys who've been yeah. doing that and made that their own, I understand that. And I think they should, you know, feel free to continue the way they're doing. Cause I love that outrun style of synthwave, but you're right that new bands can't just come in and keep rehashing the same mold. So it's good to see that there's artists. Like I could give a shout to um, an artist called lost outrider. And we did a cassette for them on time slave quite recently. And they're different. And Iverson again, uh, Iverson, are a vocal synthwave band but what they're Love doing them. is they progress yeah they're, they're amazing and what they're doing is they're progressing is they're making it less synthwave more synth pop um and they sound like a band um they sound like everyone's new favorite band when you hear them they're so catchy like the guy's got a great voice they're proper lyrics they're worked out songs this not this isn't bedroom production do you know what i mean and that is the thing i think people are trying to raise the levels of production in synthwave now and mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to see where it is in 12 months time because some of the originators like future cop just last week announced that he's putting uh, his uh project into retirement so some of these people are leaving the scene now so oh shit i didn't hear that yeah, well, there was there was a lot Crazy. of um, yeah people were pretty upset about it because he's been around for ten years. You know, he literally is one of the first. Yeah, and I went to see him with my brother in in London last year, and he was packing a crowd of a few hundred in just to see him, and that was mm-hmm. crazy. It was a crazy show, and uh, that I mean that was a gig. That wasn't a night full of acts where people are going for the whole evening. That was literally people coming to see Future Cop play a gig, and it was great. And I think it's sad to see. But he's reached a different point in his life when he doesn't want to be touring, doing synthwave anymore, I guess. Yeah. Shit, I never got to see him. Well, if you're coming to London in the next week, he's got one last gig. <laughs> <laughs> I'm told. I think there's a few tickets left, but that's quite an expensive commute, that one. Yeah. Crazy, man. Yeah. Well, we got something else going on next weekend anyway. Future, yeah, so. exactly. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jealousy creeping in. Yeah. Damn, man. I love his I love his music. I I, I bought the record off of you guys the uh Future Cop the movie, the oh, vinyl. Yeah. Which one did you go for? The black one or the orange? Or the splatter? Orange. Yeah. Or oh, I okay. think it was the orange splatter actually. That's yeah, splatter. It was, it was like a, what that's what Flamingo Funk 2 is going to look like. If you if you got the transparent splatter uh with orange out nice. of the Flamingo Funk release yesterday, it's going to look exactly like the Future Cut movie release we did on Time Slave a few years ago. It looks amazing. Have it a look really on our is. Instagram. You can see it. It's going to look great. I know we obviously have just put mock-ups at the moment, but um, the records will look incredible. Mm-hmm. Oh, they, they re- really does that, that fucking splatter. It looks like white splatter. I'm just looking at the picture now. White and orange. On, uh, for, for t- on for Flamingo Funk? The movie. On... Future Cop the movie, sorry. No, that's it's, it's transparent. Yeah, transparent. That's what. I yeah. Mm-hmm. So on Time Slave, we have Future Sounds Volume Three that also uh, released last night. In addition to the other uh, records on um, uh, My Pet Flamingo, and I want to talk a little bit about the charity uh, aspect of cool. these these 
releases. I know you did the same thing for the first set of uh, uh, fl- flam- the first version of Flamingo Funk. So how did that, where did that idea come from? How did you sort of execute it? And what has been your experience along the way? So I guess from the point of view of how we came about the idea, I mean, let me, let me start again. Hang on. Oh yeah, for sure. Like Flamingo Funk is same as Future Sounds is for Time Save Recordings. It's the album that we want people to most associate with us as a label. And I've always been like, in various guises throughout my life, I've always tried to find fun ways to raise money for charity and stuff. So in, when I was younger, I used to do uh, like crazy events where we'd, we did a race, two teams did a race from London to the Atlas Mountains in Morocco, carrying a kitchen sink uh, <laughs> for, for charity and raised money doing it. And then we cycled from uh, Cardiff to Amsterdam uh, a couple of years later, raising money again. And it was kind of like, you know, a way of doing good things but in a fun way so you could really enjoy it. And, and I think having a label now has given us this excuse to create something quite special. You know, look at Flamengo Funk Volume 1. It's a who's who of the biggest names in Vaporwave and some of the greatest tracks at that time never on vinyl before. You know, mm-hmm. being part of that is incredible. And we we raised, I think, twelve thirteen thousand pounds last year for two different charities. And that's, that's amazing. You know, we went to visit one of the charities we worked with last year is called, um, Tea Haven. And it's a a place for children with terminal, uh, diagnoses or children and young adults with terminal diagnoses. And so it's a place for them to have respite and for their families to have a break. And those are people who've got no, uh, they've got the worst diagnosis they could possibly have. And this charity's finding a way to help make their last, uh time you know on this on this planet like mm-hmm. as enjoyable as it possibly can be and it was like profoundly moving to to go there and see these people have, have such strong um spirits in order to cope with you know the transient nature of these people who are coming through for a short period of time it's just yeah the way it's going to be um wow and fuck man so how can you not feel good about doing something to support a charity like that and then our barn was a charity that works with children with special needs and gives them like because there's loads of provision for kids with special needs and disabilities in britain till a certain age and then when they're young adults there's not much left there's no government support really Mm. or it's very limited and with a brother our little brother's got down syndrome and uses this charity and they all take them off to do gardening they like a community garden they go and um you know they play football and they go on tours and stuff and it's it's such a good charity and there's basically these guys are running it on a shoestring um and we wanted to to help them so crazy there's the it's, it's the it's the greatest privilege that you can make your job uh, a dream job but you can also use that to um do something pretty special and like we released these albums yesterday so we released future sounds three and flamingo funk two last night and both of those are going towards the same charity this year. And we've already raised at least 11,000 pounds. And that's just counting vinyl. I haven't even done the early numbers on the cassettes, CDs, or mini discs. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's <clears throat> early days. So already, again, because of the generosity of the artists who donate their music, and there's big names on it again, some really, really good tracks on it this year. And because of the generosity of people who buy in this, this when it's released, you know, it's good things are happening and that's what we're doing as a community together. And I think that's quite special. So 
Fuck yeah, man. I, I love hearing that's that sort of stuff. I know Colin, shout out to you, Colin, one more time. We always shout him out because he's the best. Um, Wizard of Loneliness slash okay, Halcyon yeah. tapes. He yeah, does yeah. a lot of charity stuff too. And it's just so awesome to see. Like, I don't do any charity stuff. I feel like I need to get off my ass. And you've been doing this for a long time. It sounds like way before Vaporwave, way before Time Slaves. Right, time yeah, slave. We, yeah, we used to have no school. Um, we used to have um, a, a mini collective. It was called Everything But The Kitchen Sink, EBTKS. It doesn't really exist in any form anymore. Um, but the guy I did it with, uh, Chris, um, he's uh, he now does Synthwave. So he will come out of retirement to make a track for Future Sounds every year. He's Psycat, by the way. Um, so we used to do that stuff together. So he loves it. So he's, even though we can't, he's got a family and stuff and, you know, it may be going on those kind of trips isn't as feasible as it used to be. He'll come out and make his tune, you know, to be part of, of this each year. And yeah, it's cool. It's cool. You know, damn, that is cool. I have the first two future sounds LPs. I kind of want the tape. This tape looks so nice. Yeah. The artwork was done by running out. Yeah, the artwork was done oh, by really? Occam's Laser. Yeah, yeah, yes. Fuck he yeah. really pulled out something special with that. I think it looks stunning. I can't wait to see the vinyl. And we're doing box sets as well for the first time. So, yeah. That's going to uh, be crazy. There's spectacular. still a couple box sets left if you guys want to jump on those. Yeah. That gives you uh, the tape, the, vi- the vinyl uh, poster. And what else? Um, so it's it's not the tape that is on sale. It's an exclusive tape. It's mixed by Cosmo Cocktail, who's a synthwave producer and DJ. So it's like beat mixed. And he's going to throw in some bonus tracks from volume one and two as well. So it'd be more like a mixtape. And that'll be okay. only, only available in the box set. And then there's yeah. a poster and a, and a, and a signed print. Mm, nice. And Ocom's Laser, you put out one of his tapes at the same time last night. Is that right? Yeah, um, Occult 89. So he's, if if you're into, if, if you haven't heard of um, or haven't listened to Occam's Laser before, he's probably quite comparable to Carpenter Brute in style. Mm-hmm, he's, he's very, very much a dark synth. There's shades of, of drum and bass. Some people say some of his tracks would, they remind him of, of Pendulum, you know, the drum and bass producer. Oh yeah, hell yeah. Um, I can kind of hear that in some respects as well, but he's basically done this four part series called a cult. Um, and you, if you look on the band camp, he's written like a synopsis for the story and the final part, the resolution was out yesterday and it's, it's a cool album, a cult 89. That's definitely worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. He's, his music is fucking next level too. Like always oh, yeah. pushing the envelope, that guy. Do you know what as well? He quit his job to make it, a full-time profession. So he really, was, and the fact that he'd done it, I have to be honest, cause he lives on the Isle of Wight, which is like a little bit off the coast and the South of England. So near Southampton and you get mm-hmm. a little 15 minute ferry. My grandparents are from there. So me and cool. Jerome will go over there and see them and he lives there. So we often used to then catch up with Tom for a pint and we become good friends. And it was the fact that he'd sort of taken this risk uh, that inspired me to think, well, do you know what? Like you're only here once and you're not here for very long. So have a crack, give it a go, you know? And yeah, he's a very talented producer and it's good to see, you know, that he's, his stocks continuing to rise. And Damn, the, art, that's the artwork he does. Sweet. His artwork, if you look at like Tension, the cover he did, it's like 
almost like monochrome or one color like overlay it looks like a, like a hitchcock movie poster like it's he's got some pretty um yeah it's it's amazing look to look at his stuff mm-hmm. uh, that's the one with oh, and, uh, actually i was thinking of new blood when you said yeah, hitchcock. That's, well, yeah that's i think he's drawn himself on the cover there mm. i'm trying to remember i haven't got the record in front of me yeah well, if you like synth, dark synth, definitely check out Ocom's Laser. Definitely. All right. Let me get another question for you here. You got anything, any questions or anything, Rich? Any comments on that? Um, so I actually do have something. Um, cool. So you guys as a label, um, how do you pick like what's going to be released on there? Because you guys are like the probably one of the biggest names in vaporwave labels i'm sure you get a bunch of people like asking to release their stuff or you know what to put out what to reissue and everything how do you, what's your process in terms of determining what you're going to release when you're going to release it it's it i wouldn't say that there's a, a set formula to it in some respects yeah. what we were trying to do at the start was and i think you hit on it when we were talking earlier on about the fact that <clears throat> vinyl is kind of a recent phenomenon in the scene. And so in the early days, we were playing catch up and a lot of people were trying to, and they still are to some degree, press vinyl releases of albums that came from the previous era. So making sure that they're documented in a physical mm -hmm. context. So there's an element of that, like um, crate digging kind of in a sense, looking for mm -hmm. old classics and making sure that they get their sort of um, their chance as well. Um, and then there's the new stuff that's coming out regularly. and. So if I hear something that I'm really into, then it's really hard because we obviously get a lot of people sending us stuff. And I always feel bad when someone says, oh, you know, I tried to submit, but they didn't reply or what have you. And it's a bit like when yeah. we we're talking about people asking to change their orders just after something like Empire Buildings dropped. I mean, we're bombarded with a thousand emails and I, you know, I'm not saying feel sorry for us. It's really busy. What I'm just really trying i'd love people to understand that we try to listen to everything that comes our way and if someone was you know if i could give anyone advice if they're trying to submit to us or any other label is like do it again and again and again like don't send one email and think it's going to be seen because the chances are it might have been sandwiched between 10 emails asking where your record that they ordered yesterday is you know that kind of stuff it, it becomes quite an admin heavy process but i just for me and my brother it's about do we love something like, do we connect with it? And that is kind of the, the, um, the bar that we, we set for when we're choosing releases. It doesn't have to be that someone's got a pre-established following. We like working with new artists. Um, and we like trying to uncover people that deserve more exposure than they're getting, you know, and, and people obviously boost our exposure. So when we work with St. Pepsi, I'm not naive. We're a decent sized label. <laughs> I know that St. Pepsi, who's a great guy and a real pleasure to work with. I know that he's putting us on another level because he's got a big following. I know that when we work with waterfront dining, he's got, uh, for many years, he's been building up a set of followers who are mm -hmm. aware of us because we work with him, not vice versa. And, um, yeah. So there's a bit of that. I mean, and obviously you can imagine someone like St. Pepsi. I mean, we get emails all the time, hit vibes repress, bro, hit vibes repress. Like, <laughs> you know, I know I asked you the same thing. <laughs> well, you know, and we are always trying to do those big releases and anytime we can do them, they will be done and we will be doing more so St. Pepsi stuff. 
so like something like Saint like um like hit vibes where it's it's been out for years yeah. now. Um how do you guys go about like getting involved with that? Do you go to the artist? Do you do they come to you or are they This one's like, or is this this particular piece is complicated by the fact that it was very high profile and I think that mm-hmm. at that time when he'd been signed to Car Park and was going on tour, I think there was an issue about the use of Pepsi as a name that prompted him to mm. change his uh, pseudonym to Skylar Spence. Oh. And I think that there's some paranoia around the samples and stuff, which is why it said promo only, not for resale, and was just issued in a black dust sheet, uh, sleeve. Yep. Thing. Yep. But I, I'm told, same as everyone else, is that there is a repress um, and it's coming out when his next Skylar album comes out. That's my understanding. that's that's what i've heard too but if we were looking to do an album like that then we would i go direct so i spoke to him i you know we i badgered him with facebook i probably sent him five or six facebook messages he must get messaged all the time eventually i caught his eye we got chatting and it kind of went from there you know late night delight then uh you know he was on flamingo funk volume one and then we've just done empire building and we'll do other stuff but you just got to keep trying to catch their eye and what we essentially offer to do is to put something that they've put their heart and soul into onto vinyl and that's quite hard to resist i think and obviously handling the logistics like if you're a producer like the last thing that ryan wants to do is spend a week or two packing a thousand records and taking them <laughs> to the post office, you know, like yeah, yeah, all that stuff is an absolute headache. And that's why you have managers or that's why you work with labels. Cause you know, that's what we offer really, isn't it? If we were honest about yeah. it, we probably offer for some people the investment in the product in the first place, cause we pay all the upfront costs and we guarantee a good level of finished product and that we will make them get to people's homes around the world, you know? Yeah, shipping logistics suck. Um, we have plenty of experience in breaking into that space and dealing with all of the challenges that go along with that, just with shipping the magazine. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. and, and you guys also, I mean, basically everything you ship is pretty much international. I mean, I'm sure you yeah. ship some stuff within the UK, but... I think 80% uh, that just, of our sales would be America and Canada. Okay, yeah. So it's it's a pain to deal with. It it's is. just not It is, and if there's fun. one thing I've had... If I've had if there's one thing apart from hip vibes repress emails that i've had more of it's <laughs> shipping costs and it's a tricky one um yeah i'll tell you one thing and this isn't a dig at any american labels so i won't name ones but if i order a vinyl from america it'll cost me the same price as we're selling it for and the postage will cost me about 25 quid whereas we charge 10 pounds to post internationally so from london to your door in america wherever that is with insurance and tracking, that's £10. I'm paying 25 quid, and then the value of the shipping and the record is merged, and then I pay about 15, 20 quid on import taxes. Because Damn, we, dude, we, it's yeah. cheaper for me to order something from you than it is from the US sometimes. But that's what I mean, and that's why, um, you know, it, it, it's, I understand that no one wants to pay lots of money for something that feels like it's not really part of the the thing that they're buying. You know, who wants to pay £10 for shipping? But at the end of the day, I, I genuinely think on, on the whole, I think that we're the cheapest for international shipping in terms of finding an equilibrium. You know, I'm sure that yeah, you, I mean, you can I, buy from an American label for cheaper than you can buy from us. But if you look at it across the board and when you're buying on imports from other countries like Neon City, say, in Hong Kong, our shipping is cheaper than any other international label, I would have thought. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I know... I know if I order from you guys that I'm getting a extremely high quality 
pressing or, or dubbing or something like that. Um, and it's going to get there. And I, and I, I know it's going it to, might take a to while. show up <laughs> at some point, but that's, you know, I, and I also know it's coming yeah. from the UK because yeah. you're paying in a different currency when you do it. Whereas some other, you know, record labels, you know, you don't, you don't know when you're going to get it. I'm not trying to like call anyone out or make any digs or anything, but sometimes it shipping is extremely slow, even within the U S I've, I've gotten stuff from you guys faster than I've gotten in the U S. Yeah. Um, you don't even have to go into the whole, um, old English spelling bee thing with floral I'm shop and that, how much copy. of a disaster i'm still waiting for my i copy. got <laughs> i got lucky and got it maybe two months after i ordered I, it i got it from it, another source afterwards i think i bought it through like vinyl distribution or something vinyl digital yeah but i never got the one but, bought on um, paypal uh, on yeah i mean regardless whatever happened there shipping just sucks and and it's a you know you know you're ordering it from overseas that you're going to pay to have to get it and you know what? I, I so. and this is a funny thing because obviously I'm someone who bought that record, and I've seen the the heat, and I'm not going to make any judgments because it's too controversial a tub- subject for me to wade mm-hmm. into. The one thing I'd say, and even if you don't excuse some of the more aggressive PR that they used in dealing with the situation, the one thing I would say is that we had a PayPal freeze when we did Flamingo Funk and it's quite frightening because you're held to ransom and we did have 20,000 pounds worth of, um, and so that was a mixture of the charity money and obviously all the postage money that we needed in order to ship the records. We'd already paid for them, but we didn't have the cash to pay to ship them uh, or to make the charitable donations because PayPal froze our money for two and a half weeks, I think it took us. So in the end, we had to get letters from the charities saying, yeah, look, these guys are legit. It's all cool. Yeah. Um, and I think and proof one of thing that must. And, but, but, but <laughs> the level of um, stress that that causes is immense. And so it can cause yeah. people to do weird things and react in weird yeah, ways. I think one thing that would suck more than shipping would be using PayPal. And it can just be extremely frustrating because, you know, I've been there before where stuff is frozen and you can't do anything. So, yeah. And it's, and it's like yeah, bank account and Bandcamp and PayPal combined is is like an extra wedge on your profit margin. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, you, you pay, you're you're locked into using this service to receive payments, um, yep. and and you don't yep. have any choice really. Uh, uh, you know, look, don't don't feel sorry for me. I'm just saying, you know, these things can be quite stressful sometimes, and so I've got some sympathy for people who've tried to handle. Um, you know, a big project like that. The one thing is not just about the shipping. It's also the one thing that I think if you, if you, if you're established enough, then you ought to not have pre-orders. That's my strong feeling on it. And we're in a position now where we could invest in the next five, six, whatever releases. Mm-hmm. We're okay. We're fortunate. We're, we're secure for the time being and don't take anything lightly or take it for granted, but we're secure for the foreseeable. So we can pay for them up front so that we've got it in hand before, because it's not really acceptable. I don't think some of the biggest labels making people pay for something that's not in hand for three months, then waiting for international shipping when they've got the money to do it. And and, and yeah. it's actually for their own good as well. And the, the thing I found, I found we had one problem once with the pressing where it came and there was a big problem and it just wasn't acceptable. We had to start the process again. And if we'd have had pre-orders, then we'd have been in big bother because it would have gone over yeah, another delay. It wouldn't yeah. have been three months. It'd have been three months plus two months more and it would have been people start to post in Facebook groups that, you know, you, you know, you bought this X date and stuff and you try and minimize your stress levels. That's, 
the thing I've taught myself probably and my brother with like, the things we've learned is to try and minimize your stress levels where possible. And it's nice. People buy something. I know it's internationally shit, but they want to feel it's going to be there as soon as possible. You know, I think mm-hmm. people need to chill out on that. I think that the only time you need to start worrying is when it starts to come around six months. And again, that often that can be out of a label's hands, but at least PayPal gives you that six months window yeah, where yeah. you can, you know, try and fulfill it as best you can, like overcoming all the obstacles and unforeseen ramifications, whatever. And I, uh, people always try to like, you see labels making their own websites, for example, and trying to avoid Bandcamp or just to save a bit of money or do things themselves. And which is great. And I think we need more of that maybe, but there's a little problem that we have where people feel like it's less legitimate or something if you make your own website and don't use Bandcamp, which is just silly. Yeah, you're right. Ed. I mean, go on. Sorry, go on. I, I, That's it's, it. It's, understand, it's understandable. I mean, be, I, I get why, like, oh, you have your own website. It, it's great. But Bandcamp, Patreon, those websites are trusted sources. You know, there's, there's a sense of security and there's a sense of, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, I have some kind of recourse yeah, if something goes wrong yes. to deal with it. Can I throw in so, an, like, there is, yeah, go ahead. We're going to throw in another philo- philosophical viewpoint on this, which is <laughs> that being part of an ecosystem has its costs. Sure. They, they take their cut. But the yeah. one thing that you don't have if you if you try to divert traffic to your own website is that you lose the passing trade that comes with your album being at the top of the Bandcamp charts. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants Twitter, their picture. You've got Facebook, you've got all the channels that you use, your Instagram, you've got your Bandcamp messages that you can use, obviously. But if you take yourself out of that Bandcamp system, you're only relying on your own promo and you're maybe missing probably one of the biggest sources of passing trade. It, mm-hmm. if that if that's an appropriate expression for digital sales but you know with online music but the passing trade that comes from your album being in the top couple of um tiles on the va- vaporwave charts or the synthwave charts whatever it is like that's massive mm-hmm. people who are buying stuff for the first time you know it's not all repeat customs so i would say that it's it's riskier than than you'd think moving on to a website if you want to do it and cut those cuts and you believe that you've got the power to to get your message across then obviously good luck to you because it's it's a a brave move to do but there are benefits from being part of that ecosystem i think and it's like everyone's collection is on their phone in that app and Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. i think that in its own way is quite helpful to a small label i mean it's like the saying you gotta spend money to make money with it i mean it's it's a cost of getting discovered and getting some of that exposure and yeah. being in a place where you're visible. I mean, I hate, I hate like the artist exposure, you know, work for free kind of thing. Yeah. Like that, that's a whole separate issue, true, but true. Um, to, to be in a place where you can be discovered like Bandcamp, there's inherent value to, to paying that percentage away from your work. And it's a world away from what PayPal do in the sense that they trap you in with a with a no real choice about about payment methods and how you know how much you mm-hmm. pay. Bandcamp offer something. I don't feel like beyond the convenience of PayPal. I got a lot of um in fact I gotta be careful how much just in case someone from PayPal is listening and they, they freeze <laughs> me again. Yeah. No one wants to be out in the cold. PayPal's great yeah. if you're a buyer, if you're a seller. Yeah. It, it's, you know, all the protection is on the buyer side, which is, again, yeah. good if you're a consumer. Yeah. It's, it's It sucks if you're a retailer. It really does. And there's a couple of times when we've had spurious complaints um, and 
that's very frustrating that you can provide all the evidence that's required in a PayPal dispute and still they they would routinely uh you know side with the side sell, with the buyer. Sell, yeah. Yeah. Or the buyer, sorry, yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy. <clears throat> I remember seeing a tweet of yours back in the day when you, that first happened, the whole PayPal freeze thing. Yeah. Something like if anyone wants to bother us about labels going down or something or frozen accounts it's just like you just quoted what paypal sent to you it's like your account has been restricted it's like, yeah oh, great man that's just giving me chills thinking about it now do you know i'm not gonna lie we <laughs> literally about an hour before we put flamingo funk 2 live yesterday we pulled most of our funds out of paypal in case they froze us just so that we can handle the shipping oh. we need to Wow. Like that, was how, that was the level of paranoia that it came to me just in a yeah, moment, in a shit. frenzied brief sweat of a moment to pull the cash out. And um, yeah, just in case, because it's worrying the idea of um, that kind of thing can happen, you know. Mm-hmm. Insane. Uh, you know. So much money on the line and, and like um, charities involved. Like there's so many variables and moving parts and just, Yeah. Fuck, I can yeah, imagine man. that must have been crazy. But you're out now. You pulled through. We made it to we the made, other side. We made it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice and clean. My my dog's come up to see me now, which is nice. Hey, buddy. He's not <laughs> downstairs again. He's not interested. No. He's, he's, he's heard enough vaporwave chat for one day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he has to put up with it. He's with me all day. So I take him. We've got a new office now. We moved into a slightly bigger office in Barry. And... um we've got it all set up so loads of stock is in there and all of our like basically just our setup is there we go and print all of our shipping labels and everything and work from there all day and it's a really nice setup he just sleeps at my feet in the office all day it's you know having a dog with you is an incredible thing i never understood pets until i had one and uh yeah best thing in the world yeah i kind of wish i had a dog it's hard in in an apartment and i live alone as well yeah so yeah. i feel bad just torturing yeah, the dog it's so nice <laughs> it's nice having like a dog or having animals around it just it does add so much to your travels and to you know just your life in terms of planning stuff around you know like my wife and i like to travel a lot yeah. and we have a dog and a cat and having to coordinate having someone watch the dog or dropping them off somewhere while we're away or you know putting them up in camp or something like that yeah he goes to camp camp bow wow when we're when we're away sometimes and place with other dogs. But um, yeah, it just adds so much more complexity, but at the same time, I couldn't imagine not having them around. Yeah, no, exactly. And I I quit before my brother moved up to Wales from London. um, I'd quit the job. And so I was basically on my own working from home. And that's quite a big transition going from an office full of people uh, where you've got that constant social interaction to just being on your own. And I have to say that like from the point of view of, you know, mental health and well-being. Having a dog as company is incredible. And now Jerome's moved up. We've, we're always working together, and we've got the third guy that we work with too. So it's kind of different now. But even so, having that company there and it gets it gets you active. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it can be quite, especially when the winter draws in. You, I I I was fighting myself to 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 go out and do stuff. You know what I mean? And you've got to you've got to take him for a walk every day. So keeps you just before the show. Taking my well, dog for a walk. And you'll notice that throughout this interview, he hasn't barked or anything. So I must have walked him enough for him to have a little sleep downstairs. Nice. So, yeah. <laughs> there you go. My yeah, cats man. are pretty cuddly. They're, they they kind of 
are like dogs in that way, but they're more uh, inst- um, instinctual rather than just stoked to see me all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's like, have I fed them? All, all that sort of thing. Yeah, whereas a dog will give you instant validation the second you come in. Yeah, exactly. And that helps with the you know mental health, like you were saying. I've been living alone for five years, so I'm going crazy over here. <sighs> well, this is, <laughs> this is why technology is so amazing, though, isn't it? That's the thing. Oh, you know, it is. That's why I do this podcast, man. Exactly. And all these people that we've spoken to, we've spoken to each other over months and years, being involved in the scene. And then something comes along like Electronicon. And I think that's what George pulled off with that event really is he put everyone from this disparate but connected online community together in a real place for the first time. And that is something quite profound. It's like the w- Yeah, even more so than the just the music aspect of it, the social yeah, aspect was yeah. just as Names or even faces. if not more important. And, and mm-hmm. like, yeah, like you said at the start, you know, talking to people by their, you know, referring to people by their handles and stuff. Yeah. And you, but then you meet them <laughs> and, you know, do you call someone, you know, kidney on TSR when you meet them in person? Probably not. Get funny that, is <laughs> on the magazine, we have a lot of people that came to uh, Brooklyn from the magazine. And yeah, maybe I a few more coming to e And did you learn them? Did you meet them by their magazine name or their real name? Like, I don't know Sheep's name. I don't know Ikutri's name. Oh, wait, no, yeah, I do. But you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, that, that, no, no, exactly. I do. I do. And, and then there's, there's, there's lots of different things like blogs and podcasts and stuff that are sprouting up. And so keeping on top of people's real name from, because most of these people have ordered records from us through their real name. So that's the name that's, that sticks in my mind. Like people, I met someone <laughs> at Electronicon and the first thing they said to me was like, oh, I buy your records all the time. I was like, what's your name? He told me his name. I was like, oh yeah, you live at blah, 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 blah. He's like, what? You know, <laughs> you know that's my what address. happened with me. That might've been me actually. I think it might've been actually. Yes. Cause Rich, you guys were talking with Rich and I came over and Rich was like, yo, my pet flamingo. And I was like, bah, I'm this person. <laughs> He's like, oh, man, I've packed your records a hundred times. Well, yeah. <laughs> I haven't packed them personally. <laughs> Chris Mo- is doing most that. of them. Chris does them. Yeah, Chris does them yeah. these days. But it's crazy. Shout you know, out like to you, all Chris. these people. Yeah, shout out to Chris. He's um he doesn't listen to that much vaporwave, to be honest. Yeah. Right, right. We had a we had a we had the album on last night, Flamingo Funk 2, whilst we watched sort of the sales come in over his house and it was we were having a few drinks, a bit of a celebration for it, because it's a big event for us, this album. And mm-hmm. um, he's like, Yeah. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> like, man, you've been packing. You must have. I mean, he's handled more St. Pepsi records than any vaporwave <laughs> in the world. It's like the, and yet yeah. he, he hasn't heard a bar of that record, I don't think. <laughs> Which is mad. It's mad to me. And he loves music as well, but just oh, evidently funny. doesn't love vaporwave. He quite likes synthwave. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do you go about developing and connecting with people, like developing the relationships with artists and things like that? I know you guys are on Twitter, on Instagram. Do you find those are the best platforms to meet people? It's kind of similar to Rich's question earlier, but you have a lot of artists on your label. I'm wondering, how do, how do you meet all these guys? Like the Akari, uh, Akari LP by Karate King. Uh, and then... Obviously, VHS runners, runners club, runners club. Yeah, I mean, with 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 my pet flamingo, it's ever so slightly different because we grew time slave recordings from uh, literally a couple of people mm-hmm. to an expanding mm-hmm. collective of artists. 
Um, and we so you had that trust still have, already. We still have a Slack group that um, we all post in from there. So that we, okay. we all, and a lot, a lot of the synthwave artists were British, so it was a bit easy to connect with, and that's probably how that started. Um, whereas with my Pet Flamingo, we tend to, I prefer WhatsApp because I my phone gets bombarded with stuff. And so I find that that's the one where I'll most notice if a notification comes through. And the worst thing you want is someone sending you questions or trying to keep in contact with you about something and then you're not seeing it for a while. But it's like, I've, I've had to install so many apps. Like this is the first time I've used Discord in a couple of years. I've been doing podcasts on Slack. I speak to some artists on WhatsApp. I speak to some of them on the Twitter DMs, Facebook DMs, via email for some people. And then, um, I've got another app that I down Telegram, which I'd never heard of. Oh yeah, I, mm-hmm. I installed recently to talk to a guy from Australia who's a synthwave artist. Um, yeah, you know, like it, a it's lot really of options. It's it's crazy. Hard. And the, and the funny thing is, I said this before when someone asked me, but it's like the the mad thing about it being so interconnected and all over the world is that at any one moment, someone could be someone's awake. Someone could be unhappy with you in a different time zone somewhere. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> all happy with you. I, I, I jest really, but like, yeah, you, you wake up to messages from America, you go to bed to messages from Australia. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy. At and a certain point, you just want to be like, fuck off everybody. Let me enjoy yeah, my time. We went to watch the Joker and I was in the cinema and I could feel my phone buzzing. I was thinking, oh, why didn't I turn it on the- <laughs> Why didn't I turn the vibrate off? And obviously everyone's tweeting about Flamingo Funk because it's like two hours till it's released, right? And I'm sat there and my phone's just buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. When I come outside, I see messages and there's people going, no, they haven't replied, they haven't replied. And I'm just thinking, I've been in a cinema, okay? I'm having a break for two hours. Now, right, we go again. And then you have to catch up with everything then. But you, it, it, it puts you in demand when you do something on an international scale like this. And you guys must have it as well because you, your collab- collaborate, uh, contributors aren't all from the same part of the world, are they? No, we're all uh, primarily US-based, but like, you know, Indy's in Toronto, yeah. in Canada, and we have people in Australia, yeah, and Europe. Yeah, so the time zone thing can be an over. issue because you're finding a convenient point at which you can all overlap. It's difficult. Yeah, like typical, typically like Sundays, we all have a meeting and we talk and, and whatnot, but you know, that's, that's 4 PM for Indy and I, but it's, you know, 1 PM for the West coast and it's super like early morning for Australia. Yeah. So it's, it's tough to find a, a time that's convenient for everyone. And really it's, it's not convenient for everyone there. It's just not possible to do that. So you kind of just have to bite the bullet in some cases, or we find ways to make it easier to, to collaborate and, and get stuff done. I've had, um, Speaking- Go sorry. Ahead. I was going to say, I've had two massive cock-ups related to time zones. The first was when we dropped Late Night Delight, and I said that we were um, GMT. But of course, Greenwich Mean Time in the summer, we're plus one, but it's still called Greenwich mm-hmm. Mean Time. So they, I put the, the the final wave of Late Night Delight records out. And honestly, you know, I genuinely thought I was doing it at the right time and told people the right time. And then all these other people come back on an hour later, and they were like, you're kidding me. Like... are you actually kidding me you don't know what time it is in your own country so yeah i always say uk time and put a uk flag on it now but we we had um the other cock up kind of was last night because no matter how hard you explain it um midnight plus one minute saturday morning some people interpret that as saturday night going into sunday and some friday going into saturday and i've seen a lot of people posting and we did everything we possibly could like this will be 4 p.m est or yeah, PST, 
4 p.m. PST on Friday for you guys in America, but not everyone sees every message. And there are people who thought that it was coming out tomorrow. Crazy. Yeah, that's it's one tricky, of those things man. that you can, yeah, I feel like you can do everything possible to like, you know, get the word out there, but yeah, some people are just not it, yeah, going yeah. to understand it. And it just, it's, it sucks that you, you can't, you know, sit everyone down and have a nice conversation with them and say, okay, this is exactly when it's going to happen. Yeah, and, exactly. And you can't rely you on know. you tweeting something that someone's going to put it in the vapor vinyl group on Reddit and vice versa. You know, you can't rely on that information disseminating to everyone, but I think we'll probably yeah, go back exactly. in the future with hindsight. I think we'll probably like, we'll look to do, the 5 p.m. UK releases in the future because there's no confusion over what day it is and it's quite a good balance. The reason we did it this way this time is because Cassette Store Day was a big part of what we were doing and yep. um, we wanted it to be on the Saturday so that we qualified to be you know, part of it. Uh, I mentioned Puffy Cheeses there for a moment, just quickly. Uh, he did a cool video with Music's The Hang Up where they rank different Vaporwave records based on aesthetic, if it has a physical and they give it a score. It doesn't indicate whether it's a good album or not, but it's how vapor it is. <laughs> so you can check that video out on Music's The Hangout. Nice one. You're going to link that to you? Sure. I'll link it in the thing here, but uh, I'll put it in the description as well. Yeah. All right. On to the next question. Can you tell us a bit about your process for pressing vinyl, making your tapes, uh, putting your mini discs together? You know, How do you assemble everything and build the art you know, do the artists give you art? Do, are there any um, pieces that you've made yourself? Maybe you help the artist with their art, you know, things like that. Yeah, I suppose the process with vinyl is obviously the most complicated of all of the physical releases that you're trying to put together because there's more art to cover. You have to be aware of the fact you've got to blow it up to 12-inch um, scale, which poses issues. I mean, we were talking about mm. Late Night Delight and the original art for that is low res. So if you try to pull that up to 12 inches, it's going to look pretty awful even if it looks yeah. great it looks great on a screen as it was but you just can't push it that much further so we kind of i i worked with um the new cover for late night delight which i put together um and i did the cover for timeshare 94's album malibu condos um, but yeah. most of the time we're trying to incorporate the original cover art um and then it's working within that theme to produce the other complementary pieces like the labels and the back cover and um spine yeah the spine and and yeah making trying to find a vinyl color that or effect that matches the overall aesthetic which can be harder than you think sometimes because the palette of choice that you have isn't always that wide you know um you can be restricted like it was only recently that I started being able to get purple, which given Time Slave recordings, for example, and the colors in that logo, you'd think that would be a perfect color for us. But it was only the last few months that we've actually been able to get someone in Europe who does records in that color. It was crazy. It just wasn't available to us, you know. Um, but we tend to use, uh, we've got two different brokers we use for vinyl. And um, it's obviously quite an expensive upfront cost compared to any of the other formats that you would you would use um and the process is longer so we would send all the art files we pay for the pressing up front we have to wait a couple of weeks and then test pressings will arrive which is a key part um obviously you want to make sure that the sound is as good as it can be and that coat and cutting process has to be done again if it's not right you know and my brother does quite a lot of work with um the digital masters to prepare them for vinyl so we do some oh, yeah. of vinyl mastering as well 
and then then it's just this the six week wait but the tapes and mini discs are slightly easier um but no less professional there's this the woman jill um from media the media media duplication is the company and they're on twitter and instagram as audio tape people i don't know if you've ever seen them they're absolutely brilliant they've got just about every color every shell and case um and they can turn things around like they've been working on all of our five cassette store day releases in the last two weeks and i think i've given her a number of headaches with our last minute changes and things like that <laughs> but it's mad you know they, they um they're producing in leicester which is maybe two hours away from here um so it's nice to be able to use a local company for them big time well yeah. shout out to those guys what was it what were they called again so the, uh... audio tape people they are on social media and okay. i think they're like limited companies like media duplications you can find them through either but jill's just amazing so if there are any labels who are european based or happy to use i think they do ship some uh, orders internationally to like american labels as well they're quite popular because they're affordable and the end product's amazing but Jill, yeah. amazing. Honestly, if you're if you if you're looking for someone to organise your tape project, she's I can't thank her enough. Sick. Shout out to you, Jill. Yeah, man. <laughs> I speak to her every day. I speak to her more than I speak to my mum. Yeah. I don't know how to take that, but yeah. well, just that's an indication of the level of quality control you guys have. And I was thinking, how do these guys get so good at like mastering? For example, you brought up or the art. And I guess it has a lot to do with figuring it out with Time Slave. Yeah, first. a lot of that. Yeah, you learn by your own sort of endeavors. And I had a friend I used to work with, Sean, and she helped me um, design the logo for Time Slave. Um, her and before that, basically, my girlfriend's friend, uh, Jen, produced the original logo. And Sean did a couple of things to make it ready for screen printing and stuff like that. Yeah. And get it, get it popping, like really popping. And um, mm -hmm, she used to mm -hmm. do some amazing stuff for us. And it was really when you're starting out, because I was learning all the skills that I've got now and the same for my brother and probably anyone out there who's done a magazine or run a label or what have you, you learn so much stuff by working for yourself because you have to, because you're relying mm -hmm. on the, the goodwill and expertise of friends with more skills than you to teach you stuff and help you yeah. out when you need things. And yeah, I mean, you can't really um, get anywhere without that in the first instance. So yeah, I mean, right. every relationship with an artist is completely different because some of them don't design their own work and some of them do, you know? Um, so each project would be slightly different, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite uh, Vaporwave record or like one you would think is the most iconic? If I pick a record from our label, then I would risk offending another artist. So any, I'm going to steer clear yeah, of any. our label. And <laughs> <laughs> um, my favorite Vaporwave album do I listen to the most? Okay, I listen to Hit Vibes the most, for sure. Nice. Um, I obviously have a big fondness for macintosh plus and any vectroid stuff i think is absolutely amazing and i listen to a lot of comtrues mm, that's more synth of, though i guess right i guess so i guess so. okay the most iconic to me though album would probably be macintosh plus um, yeah. on, on the vapor side and uh, hologram plaza as well big fan of that and um on the disconscious well, that's right yeah and on the future funk side of things it'd be hit vibes yeah Perfect. I'm glad you're not afraid to like say that and like, oh, the most iconic album is, but it is. Floral Shop. It is. Because it's not it, the is. Coolest it is. I'm sure people have come on and, and they might well mean what they say. I don't dismiss that, but it's probably 
an entry level album in the sense that it's the first thing you play to someone, but that doesn't change the self-evident truth that those two albums are the most famous albums of those two styles, I would suggest. Mm. And you don't get to be iconic without going through everyone in like that experiences the genre. Exactly. I mean, there's a reason that everyone listens to it. It it is iconic for multiple reasons. So Yeah, exactly. I know this is plenty of people that would be like, Oh, I'm a vapor snob and I don't listen to you know it's possible like that. It's, it's possible yeah. because it's like I don't listen to Revolver by the Beatles anymore because I've heard it a thousand times. And yeah. maybe, you know, you can get bored of listening to Macintosh Plus. Or hit vibes, I'm sure. Oh, I'm, I'm sure, sure I would reach the point of saturation if that was all I listened to from the scene on a day-to-day basis. I'd have moved on to other things because you can't just focus on one album necessarily for that long. But the people who no. say that, yeah, like, okay, it's a bit entry level to say Macintosh Plus, I suppose. But at the end of the day, you know, maybe some people have reached a saturation point with it that I haven't because I've had to listen to so much other music in the same period since I've got into Vaporwave. Mm-hmm. For me, it's still That's a good point. I think it's a good point. Though. I never thought of it that way. Like the most ears have heard, like the album, the most ears have heard is probably that record. So yeah. 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 Like iconic doesn't have to mean like it is the best vaporwave album. It doesn't have to mean it's like the de facto one, but iconic is something that exactly everyone can look to and recognize. It's a, it's an icon within the, the genre. And I don't think there is any, uh, any album other than floral shop that really fits that better fits that description better than something else and i think you can make all sorts of subjective and objective judgments on different albums and different styles but the fact remains that you've got to acknowledge that album's impact in putting more eyes and ears onto this music and onto the culture and that is Mm -hmm. so influential and what you do when you when you access a style of music for the first time immediately you finished it if you've if you're profoundly affected by it is you seek out more experiences like it and then you've started mm-hmm. experiencing one do you know there's a I, I will say the thing i've started listening to much more of i was never aware of um quite how good death's dynamic shroud were until- i was gonna say <laughs> i'll try living like this is probably my yeah. answer to that question yeah, and that is a that's I can't believe that that is kind of passed me by a little bit until we put their track on Flamingo Funk Two, and I was just like, man, like what is this? This is incredible. <laughs> I'm gonna find that, more. That seems to be the experience it, that everyone it, has. What I was like, say, like, yeah, DDS goes by everyone's head at some point, and they just kind of not discredit it, but like it's not my thing. And then they come back to it at some point, and they're like, damn, this is so good. It's so different. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. you know, I. Pad Shennington said that in one of his recent videos where he he couldn't figure out what it was at one point, just couldn't describe it. When he finally, you know, got it, it just clicked. And he's like, damn, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So exactly. And that's what you're looking for, I think, is people who in the scene are trying to push the envelope and sound genuinely different. You know, you can you can put a St. Pepsi record on and you will immediately get that sound. You know it's him. I think the same. I, I can mm-hmm. spot Waterfront Dining Records really quickly. Um, Luxury Elite yep. has her own sound. Macintosh Plus and the more synthy Vectroid stuff. I mean, there's an identifiable sound. Death's Dynamic Shard, they've got it. Haircuts and Men's another good example of people who are doing something unique and individual and they have their own very distinct sound and that's what you need is people who are sort Mm -hmm. of you know making more of the tools at their disposal and really putting that effort into creating some fucked up soundscapes yeah you're making (laughs) you're reminding me of um another iconic album by internet club and actually internet club i cannot fucking wait to see will they're crazy loops 
Yeah, that's that's I, a style right there. And I think Vanishing Vision might be one of the most iconic as well. I think that's a fair point. That would be my that brother's first answer song? if he was here. You'd, if you, if yeah. my brother had been here, that's the answer he would have given because we. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've both um, played that to respective hungover partners as a way of like <laughs> comedy torture. Yeah. If, if you know what I mean, in a certain context, yeah. it's a challenge. That music is a challenge, but that doesn't make it yeah. any less interesting. <laughs> well, like, there's that, that an album that I'd love to put on vinyl. Mm-hmm. That, that, that would be, a, that'd be an aspiration for me. I'll have to try and get in contact. I did try once or twice, I think, in the past. I'm not sure. If, if we if, if we, we meet him at Electronic exactly. Act 2, we'll, uh, we'll tell him. Yeah. We'll say, hey, you got to get <laughs> with this. Do, and you can vouch for us then that we'll do a good job with it because that is, a, a, like you say, it's an iconic piece of music that well, deserves we'll to t- be put on that like within the permanency of a physical release that's what it's like archiving all of these really artifacts from our scene so that once it's all gone and the servers have all closed down and the website's no longer valid anymore they've all gone dormant these things will exist in our record collections Mm -hmm. and that's really important i think yeah, we'll link him the podcast. We'll tell him to listen to that. So there we are. <laughs> if he likes my pitch, <laughs> we'll have a go. Yeah. You know, can I just, one thing, just in case um, you haven't listened to them much, most people listen to Jeff Buckley more. In that same vein of, of that kind of challenging um, soundscape, the Death's Dynamic Child or the Internet Club kind of vein, uh, Tim mm-hmm. Buckley's album, Lorca, is an absolute challenge, but it's something that you'll listen, some people listen to the first time and be like, like what on earth am I listening to here? And then by the end of it, you just—it's otherworldly. I think I don't know that Tim Buckley. Tim Buckley. Jeff, so Jeff. It's Jeff Buckley's dad. Um, okay. They, they both died really tragically. Tragically, actually, it's really sad stories. And Tim Buckley never really got the um, commercial success or financial reward, perhaps that his talent deserved. And I think mm-hmm. he sort of tried a couple of times to make it sound more commercial, which didn't really work. And then he just react and go even more out there um, and improvisational. But I mean, he, his whole, um, his whole discography is worthy of a listen, but this album Lorca is, is like, I don't know if, if Vaporwave was made with instruments in the sixties, this is the closest thing to it. Hmm. Crazy. Yeah. I'm just looking it up. I remember him now. He did the hallelujah. No, that's his son. That's his son. Yeah, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So, but but Tim Buckley, the father, is is mm-hmm. uh yeah different different guy, but worth a listen. Yeah, I got the tab open. I'll definitely check that out. <laughs> I've, I've hyped it up now. You might not like it. I'm standing mm-hmm. by it though. I'm standing by mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. I probably will. I like that old like. Um, I find the old music like that is more emotional, especially because it's so like so good. But like you said, it didn't get that commercial success. That just draws me in more for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, no, I, I think so because it's a bit like the thing we were talking about being in on a secret. There and, you go, and being yeah. part of you, you. There's there's a almost even though we maybe might deride snobs. There's a bit of snobbery in all of us for us to be into niche music, you know, like <laughs> being aware of it in and of itself. Maybe that's as far as you go with the with the exclusivity, but being aware of something niche and underground is can feel like a you know you're part of something quite profound, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or perhaps I'm yeah. Over, no, I, over, I, over I, I'm right there with you, man. Uh, I want to, I know we were getting to the end, but I want to talk about your podcasts a little bit there, Like a Flamingo and The Synth Zone. 
Yeah, Time Slave FM. While. We've we've confused the branding slightly with the Time Slave podcast. It's Time Slave FM. We're going to rename some of the old podcasts. But yeah, we do. Um, go on. Yeah. So yeah. No, that's Gosh. right. Time Slave FM. Totally my fault. Uh, no, no, it's my. It's, it's it's the mixed in the in the name of the podcast where we've named. Yeah. It. Initially, it was going to be called the Simpson, and then someone got in touch with us like an hour after the first episode went live and said, "Hey guys, do you know there's someone in America called the Simpson?" So. Oh shit! So um, yeah, I like timeslave.fm better. You know, it m- makes me feel like I'm gonna tune into a radio show or something. That's that's the <laughs> idea. Like it's kind yeah. of um, drawing on uh, the pirate radio stations we used to listen to. Yeah, um, awesome, uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's so a we, lot of fun. We try and get guests on. We're gonna do more of that. A bit like this. Now we're gonna try and. Um, interview more artists particularly artists who work with us as a label and sort of put the Mm -hmm. profile on them um talk to them about their influences and give people a bit of a picture about how they come to to make their music um we just put out a podcast with Occam's Laser for Time Slave FM and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we talked to him about how he came up with the concept behind the occult series and you know how he pulls together his art simple things like that that people might not know and I think it's quite good. I think it's a great way to connect with people um, to do podcasts because it's free and because you are able to 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 showcase your music, but with a, something you know, just a slight, a bit more character to it. Yeah, and you had also on the Flamingo Funk podcast, or sorry, like a Flamingo <clears throat> podcast, uh, a dear friend of mine, Eric Hughes, on the show just a few days ago. Uh, yeah, that. Uh, the CEO of Sil Vinyl. Sly, people... Sly Vinyl. Sly, sorry? <laughs> yeah, Sly Vinyl, yeah. Sil, Sil is a different one. Sorry. Uh, yeah, that that's a like just an example of one of your guests that you have on the show, you know? Great episode. He, he's become like, a, like you know, they say uh, like a fifth member of the band kind of thing. In oh, the yeah. sense that he's worked with us so closely since we did flamingo funk volume one and we work together it's literally as a 50 50 collaborative uh project getting the track mm. listing together for these compilations and um Sweet. we work really well together he's he's got different contacts to me so he's managed to get some of these guys like dds and haircuts for men to feature on the album and i've brought other tracks to the to the table along with the stuff by artists who are part of mbf but we're definitely kind of talking about other projects that we might be able to work on because he's, he's extremely uh, capable and professional and we really enjoyed working together like that podcast. I think we're going to get him involved in, in uh, like a flamingo more often. Yeah. He, he brings a, a really detailed perspective on the scene. Yes. He's probably got more long-term uh, like his, historic knowledge, yeah. knowledge in the music than, than we do, you know, Mm-hmm. Coming to it slightly later. Mm-hmm. He's so smart. For anyone who doesn't know, he's the guy that does all the group buys on Reddit. Past tense, the vinyls. unfortunately. Oh, Past tense. oh yeah, that's, right. that's right. Yeah, I think he's had enough of the uh, the responsibility of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we can only imagine. It's hard, but people you know, are interesting. I think we've got to um, find a way to improve distribution stateside for UK and European labels. That's something we will continue to look at. And uh, yeah. maybe things like group buys aren't necessary if you can get things across a bit cheaper. And that's something we always try and find cheaper ways to ship. I know mm-hmm. we've kind of well, focused on that before, but... It made yeah. sense at the time because 
you know, vapor vinyl was going through its growing pains and he yeah. was, he, you know, he knew a lot. He found that there might be an opportunity to help some people out. And, but now that things are kind of, you know, labels have their shit together, <laughs> so to speak, uh, there's <laughs> yeah. not as much of a need for it. <clears throat> but yeah, shout out to you, Eric. You're the best. Yeah, we're we're going to go do a, um, we're trying to find, cause he's going to econ too. He is. Yeah. We're trying, we're trying to Another find a way. Going. Everyone's going except us. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, we want to do a tour of um, Erica Records in LA. Oh, okay. Awesome. And we're trying to do mm-hmm. that like maybe Saturday morning before the show if there's a slot. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, if we do do that, hopefully we'll have a video for you guys. Oh, wicked. That would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah, I'll be following. Sure. I'll be like everyone when we were in Brooklyn for the first Electronicon. Our Twitter messages were just either full of people who were there or full of people who were pretty disappointed not to be there. And I'm going to be one of them. Um, But it was cool. As far as I could tell, looking back on YouTube and on social media platforms, you could see quite a lot of good content. So there was some live streaming and there was quite a lot going on. So you could still access it. So I think we'll probably watch quite a lot of it anyway, if if that's still going ahead in the same way. Yeah, we'll have some content there. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Posting some stuff. Yeah, yeah. We'll try and get some stuff together there. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, what else we got here? Do you have any advice for people that uh, submit their work to the label? Like ways they can package the things to make it easier for you? Ways to communicate? You know, It's the same as I said before. The difficulty is that we're a very small company. Um, there's two of us plus a guy who focuses on the packing side of things. And the best piece of advice I can give, and it's one that I... I've learned myself through trying to approach artists when we were setting up the label and even now trying to get the attention of artists who aren't familiar with us, who haven't worked with us before. It's just repetition. I know it sounds bad and we always try to read every email we get and we always try to listen to all the music that we get sent, but we get sent a hell of a lot. And don't be afraid to to repackage and send again. Like We will never be so arrogant as to, to think that we're too good to receive submissions. It's not about that. It literally is like having the manpower, the hours in the day to to explore some of this great stuff that we get sent, you know? Yeah, sorry, I was uh, chewing up the last of my bubbles from my ah. bubble tea. <laughs> this <laughs> thing's getting warm now, you know? I got to try and finish it. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, thanks for saying that, man, because, uh, you know, people need to hear it sometimes. Like, they're not going to, you might say it in a reply to a tweet or on Reddit or something, but you know a lot of people listen to these, so uh, no, you can get some peace of mind from that. It's hugely important to us the fact that people reach out to connect with us and artists and stuff. You know, I, I remember when we put out a tweet asking people if they wanted to help us with the cover art for Flamingo Funk Volume One, and Victor Arche, um, who's done the art for both of them, got in touch, and we had we had a flood of of, of emails from people offering to do art for us, and you can't do it with everyone. You know, you just have to, you have to pick in the end ultimately. And, but we've developed a good relationship with him where he's done a few things for us. And so we're always looking for new partnerships and we're always keen to hear new music. And um, I just hope that as we develop, we might be able to get to a point soon where we can take on another extra member of staff yeah, so that we can free ourselves up to take more decisions rather than, be bogged down in admin do you know what i mean it's not glamorous 
I certainly do. I've edited every single one of these interviews myself for nearly a year now. And we just finally added someone, you know, based on our, um, I guess the rotation of episodes, you could say, like how much work we want to take on. Yeah, We have a new editor now and he's uh, helping us take on a lot of work that we wouldn't have been able to before. Yeah. And that's it. Many hands make light work. You need to be able to spread out that um kind of resource and you've got to be able to Mm -hmm. use your talents most effectively like jerome is brilliant at the music side of stuff i've got better at doing the promo and art and maybe exactly digging out records and communicating with people to try and get them to come and start a project with us you know that kind of relationship building i'm being quite quite good at doing that so we need to make sure that we've got time to do those things not have to you know spend most of our time dealing with the admin side of things, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. really, really important, really important, but um, can stop you from being able to explore a new artist or find that, find that new project, find that new um, late night delight or noise to put on vinyl, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. You also have to make sure it's like, it's the right person. You know, a lot of people I'm sure would want to be a part of my pet flamingo or private suite podcast, but uh, you know, it's just, you got to be able to work together. There's a huge trust factor involved. You kind of have to like get to know people a bit before. Uh, yeah. And you know. we get Josh from Iverson has been working with us doing some oh, social nice. videos and stuff. And so he's been doing mainly time slave promotion, but he does a bit of MPF stuff as well. And he's up to mm-hmm, video mm-hmm. game. Um, and he's been amazing. Uh, shout to Josh. Um, and we work with Tom Ockham's laser on certain projects as well. So we have got sort of like a couple of existing relationships. The best thing about those for us is that they're both based in the UK. So when we go to London, we can catch up with Josh. When we go to see our grandparents in the Isle nice. of Wight, we can catch up with Tom. And and uh, that works for us as a small business. And it's a family business. That's how we want it to stay. We want it to feel like that. So it has to be someone. Yeah, exactly. With. You've got to connect with them. It doesn't have to be family, but it needs to be someone that you've got a good relationship with. And that's why it feels I, you know, like family. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And Eric going forward. I mean, I we've only ever until we did that podcast, we'd never spoken like uh, in terms of actually speaking. We've mm-hmm, obviously mm-hmm. for a year or more been chatting regularly on WhatsApp and uh, communicating like friends would. And then now, you know, by doing that podcast, by solidifying that relationship with Flamingo Funk too, it feels like, yeah, let's look at other opportunities to work together. And that's kind of how these things develop organically, don't they? And the future is crazy. Like, how can you develop? Imagine going back to the 1800s and being like, yeah, I know this person on the other side of the planet and we just, we, we've we never spoken, but we're great friends, you know? It's, <laughs> so weird yeah well in those days you probably the furthest you'd get from your house was walking to the nearest village for market or for water (laughs) and now you know you think nothing of jumping on a plane to fly to brooklyn to go to uh, the vapor wave uh woodstock which is what i had everyone referring to it as when we were at electronicon Mm -hmm. yeah this is crazy how the technology like we don't care about it anymore it's not really revolutionary we're not like, holy shit, we got color TV now, guys. Fuck yeah. Right? Like Exactly. Exactly. But that's the thing, though. The one thing that worries me about technology in some ways is that it quickly becomes dormant. Yeah, like, it's weird. I'm not the biggest so, fan right now. Yeah. So, like, there's things, there's certain, there's, like, 
TVs that are not that old will be completely obsolete soon because they'll no longer be able to connect to the analog um, signals here in the UK. Mm-hmm. If, if if that hasn't, no, it can't have happened because my grandparents have got one of those little metal things like a coat hanger yeah. sort of move to get a signal. And they've been watching TV that looks like it's been put through a vaporwave um photo <laughs> tutorial yeah. for, the, for the last the, the uk is the last 10 years like it's mad the uk is still using analog over the air most signals. people connect via digital or satellite now the vast okay. vast majority but they haven't cut it off because of people like my grandparents who uh, literally okay. does it say literally have um maybe i would say it's, I, i'm going to be generous and i'm going to call it a 12 inch television oh my god with with a with a coat with a <laughs> coat hanger aerial that oh my god! Wow. Only access is um, maybe five or six channels. But you gotta snag us a little picture or something. Well, I'll, I'll, when I'm there next time, I will. But normally, the telly when we go there, me and this Jerome, is vaporwave. The the like this is how glamorous <laughs> it is. We get there and um, the every evening, basically, the telly goes off after a certain time. But once the soaps are finished, so once you yeah. I don't know if you know what extenders <laughs> is, but once the soap operas are finished. Then telly goes off and out comes Scrabble and we play Scrabble every evening. And I think I've played Scrabble with my grandparents nice. every evening, every time I've been to their house for the last 20 years. Wow. It's our family tradition. It's a nice tradition. Yeah, it's nice, yeah. That's it's nice. nice. Yeah, I yeah. regularly I lose. That. I regularly lose because my nan and granddad team up and cheat on a cheat. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got his own dictionary. Scrap. Scrabble is cutthroat. Oh, if uh, you play with the right, well, yeah. he's using. He's he won't move on. He's got a 1985 Collins Dictionary, which is perfectly good condition. So he doesn't want to upgrade it, which I understand. But there's a lot of words that have been spoken since 1985, um, or phased out words. And some of them would be nice to use in Scrabble from time to time. But if it's not <laughs> in his 1985 edition, then it's not going. I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Them's the rules. Yeah, no laws in that game. No, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you mentioned your YouTube there just briefly. I want to say check out the My Pet Flamingo and Time Slave YouTube channels because there's some really great videos on there. Uh, I think you guys should keep pumping them out, man. Like really, really nice stuff. It's a great collection. Yeah, it's it's something that we started again to focus on. Um, so yeah. it all comes back to the manpower issue that we've touched mm-hmm. on a few mm-hmm. times and having the time and space and we're maybe becoming a bit more strategic about how we do things now, which is takes the pressure off. And I think one of those things is going to be to have those YouTube videos there. Uh, like you said, it's, it's, it's a nice visual, visual way to, to bring music to life. And we've got people like Josh and my brother and myself who are putting together videos that are good Mm -hmm. and they're nice. You can stick them on in the background and they're aesthetically pleasing to watch. So. We are going to try and develop the channel a bit more. At the moment, it's kind of sitting around 900 followers on each, and there are far bigger channels out there. And that's partly because we haven't maybe given it the love it deserved in the past, but there's loads of good content on there. Yeah, we're we're right there with you. We're we're trying to pick up the video side of things now too. It's hard. It's hard. And I think if we have time in the future, then we'll probably look to do more content-based stuff like personality fronted stuff like you guys do at the moment. We let the music sort of, uh, it's the podcast is the only expression of us as individuals. If you get where I'm coming from. So yeah, doing yeah, things definitely. like this, mm-hmm. that's the only time yep. that we're sort of speaking as individuals who are MPF, everything else almost is necessarily is just a corporate voice because yeah. the platforms are a corporate channel. You can't sign off 
too much as as an individual when you're speaking as a brand you know yeah that's a great uh thanks for making that distinction <clears throat> okay well we're pretty much near the end i have one more question for you and then we'll uh we'll give you some time to do some shout outs or something like that yeah nice one. do right? you have anything exciting and i know you guys just did a whole whack of stuff so it might not be the greatest time to ask this question but i ask it every episode so i got to upcoming things fans can look forward to yes Definitely. A silver foil repress of Empire Building. We're also oh, working on... Shit. Yeah, you're the first person mm. I've told that, so... That's exclusive. Details. That's exclusive what is silver foil? Can, can you so, touch on that a bit? Have you seen the gold foil version of Empire Building? The satellite okay, sleeve so. is foiled, so we're doing a yeah, silver yeah, version yeah. of that because okay. um, there's a hell of a lot of love for the gold. I um, don't want to diminish its value for collectors by creating more of them. That wouldn't be fair. Um, so what we're doing instead is doing a silver um, edition because it'll look lovely. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, enough people have asked us for it really that it seems like the right thing to do. And we're also working with St. Pepsi on another uh, classic vinyl issue, but I don't want to say any more names than that for now. <laughs> cool. I like the fact that people will speculate. And I like the fact that I'll get, once this published, if you leave this bit in, I'll get an email from someone within 10 minutes asking me if it's, is it here vibes? <laughs> <laughs> it's not here vibes. It's not here all you got to say is St. Pepsi yeah. and that's yeah, it. And, and you're going to have people all over yeah, it. Exactly. And we've done late night delight now. So people needn't ask us if we're doing another pressing. It's very mm -hmm. unlikely. There's no need for it now. I think there's enough of them in the world. I think everyone who wanted one mm -hmm. has got one. And that really was the reason that we came back to it a second time around is because nice. trying to find that balance between something that uh, is collectible, et cetera, et cetera, but also meeting the demand when people want the records, you know, there's a difficult mm -hmm. balance so that we, because we put a lot more copies of Flamingo Funk up this time and put all of the variants out at the same time. And the flood for it was massive, but in a way, I think the availability gave people more time to sort of stop and think about which one they wanted. Whereas I think as soon as they start seeing the countdown going, the red numbers appear, they're running out, they're running out. It kind of forges this like, feeding frenzy and people who maybe buy things they wouldn't necessarily have bought otherwise that you know right. like the, the fomo like the fear of this yeah. release disappearing before your eyes oh, so, it's huge it. so we tried to put more it's up real in. you've got to find the biting point and get the right amounts pressed and that's always a guessing mm -hmm. game you never do know um mm -hmm. just trying to think if yeah so in a sense the vapor rave project we did that's going to get a vinyl release um and I'm just trying to think if there's anything else we nice. can tell you about right now. I think that's probably <laughs> enough. That's probably okay, enough. Okay, perfect. <laughs> cool. So anything you want to, any shout outs you want to give or anything you want to say before we uh, we let you go? Yeah, I mean, look, for a start, what you guys are doing and all of the people, all, all the personalities and groups out there who are trying to uh, keep you know document the scene in the way you are i think it's so important like Thanks, you know, i found frustrating about synthwave in the first instance was the lack of blogs so i listen to the music but then because i'm passionate about it i want to find something to read about it i want to see some analysis about what you know new release the issues in the scene you know the culture and stuff and what you guys are doing is giving people like forging like a discourse um amongst mm. people which is which is so, so important. And um, you guys are obviously right at the top of that. So thanks for inviting us on or um, giving us for the sure, chance to, to be a part of it. And um, 
I think a big shout to all of the artists um, on our label, everyone who's ever worked with us. Like it, it's a real pri- privilege to be able to work uh, on these projects, you know, to be taking part in them. I'm sat in a room now with all the vinyl that we've ever made in the archive. And it's, mm-hmm. it's crazy. It's crazy. <sighs> and we're always going to be grateful for being given those opportunities. So yeah, I'm just trying to think if there's any specific shouts. Chris, the Pac-Man. Your work is great. Even if you, you'll never man. listen to this podcast because you're not particularly interested in Vaporwave, I feel that in, a, in, in terms of topping up the karmic well, I should say a thanks to him for the mm-hmm. hours. He spends many of them covered in paper cuts. Um, shout, yeah. shout out, big shout out to you. Like, yeah. He's the reason that our stuff arrives inta- intact, right? Well, yeah, exactly. And then you're going to have a flood of people in who are crying out in their rooms listening to this now. They'll be saying, but my one came with a ring rust. <laughs> and uh, and I always say to that is Chris does a very good job of packing them and we do as much as we can to strengthen the parcels, but I cannot be the postman as well. And if your postman wants to play Frisbee with the parcel, the best we can do is claim on insurance and refund you or replace it. Yeah. So, yeah. Crazy. Kind of went off cool. the went off the vibe of shouts. I think we got it all covered. But yeah, thanks yeah. for <laughs> thanks for inviting us on and um, for for putting my pet flamingo in the spotlight. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for joining yeah. us. Seriously, I'm a huge fan. I've been buying your shit for years, and uh, I'm like a you're like a famous person to me, sort of like it's like wow. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Do you know what? Someone said that after Electronicon, I was trying to explain to people like um, some of my friends who aren't really into the music. I said, it was crazy. Like we got there and the first thing I saw was someone wearing a My Pet Flamingo t-shirt. Then yeah. I've got people asking me to sign things. I was just like, wow. You know, like that. Get out of here, people. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> look, there, look, crazy. Going, look, there's George. There's, there's Ryan. They're famous. Yeah. <laughs> They're famous. Well, it's like, uh, we're all doing this together. Like Alex yeah. said, um, a rising tide lift all, lifts all boats, I think is what he said. So, and that, we, I, we, I we have you to thank. I as, um, as eloquent as Alex. And he showed me up on a couple of occasions today with his terms <laughs> and phrase. However, it does that is one thing that should be mentioned before we finish it is that we should shout all the labels that are doing this because it's not yeah. just one or another like exactly we need to all be doing it because we need to be creating the competition that strives you know forces us to strive to make each release better and better and better because that's what Fuck keeps yeah. the scene moving forward and that's why you know that's why we are where we are now mm-hmm. love it man great way to end it thanks so much for coming yep. on the show once again pony you got anything you want to say before we go just thank you it's always good to talk to you we talk every day. What are you talking about? <laughs> talking to Enzo well, yeah, here. Just yeah, just this has been, yeah, this has been cool, man. Yeah. I just hope that you've got enough that you can use when you chop it down at the end. Oh, this someone is Someone who slept perfect. for four hours, I did my best. I'll give you that. Oh, it's perfect, man. Great yeah. episode. I think people will really like it. Oh, nice one. Okay, well, yeah. I look forward to hearing it, guys. And have a great weekend, the rest of it. And um, keep so in much. touch if, we ever, if there's ever any other opportunities to collaborate on stuff. That would be great. Mm-hmm. It'd be awesome. Let's do it, yo. Nice one. All right, take care. I'm going to go and have my dinner now. Take care, man. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> take care, boys. Peace Bye. out. Bye. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, that was fun. Yeah. Nice, uh, chill conversation. Mm-hmm. Thanks for... He's always he's always great for talking, great for just chatting. Yeah, and everything. yeah, I've never really 
been able to talk to him. Um, just so many people to talk to. It's like, I have so many people I want to meet. It's like, I, you know, so thanks for opening this up for me. So as always, we're going to play some music from, well, actually, I guess they don't have any music, but uh, some music from their label. So check, <laughs> check it out. And uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. As always, it's always a pleasure to hear your comments and, you know, have you leave voicemails and things on the show and, you know, anything um, like interactive is just always so much fun for us. So thanks to everybody who does that. And we look forward to more and uh, yeah, lots of upcoming interviews, a lot of interviews this week, actually um, coming out before econ. So uh, get ready to travel and put on those podcast headphones, everybody. It's going to be a busy week for the Private Suite podcast. For sure. Cool. All right, man. Guess we'll call it. Take it easy, everyone. Take it easy. track was Tokyo Calling by Urban Flamingo from the album Urban Stories. The next one is Hides Hide by Aloe Island Posse off the album Anthology. My name is Agnos and you're listening to Private Suite.
Take My Eyes Off You 
by Lola Disco from the album Girl Talk. Next up is Given Up 143 from Turnt Boy's album Forever. Thank you. 
That was Beat Street by Whitewoods from the album Spaceship Earth. Next up is Waterfront Dining and Cat System Corp. Our Night from the album With Love.
that last track was Ecstasy by Three Piece Sweets from the album Inner Sense. Before that was St. Pepsi's Isaac Washington from the album Empire Building. This last track is Never Gonna Give You Up by Timeshare94 from the album Malibu Condos version 2.0. You've been listening to Private Suite. My name is Agnos, and we'll see you next time. We've been